Welcome back to This Is Not A History Lecture. Oh my god, y'all. We have some things to chat about. Let's, okay, let's, first things most important, Kat got me the <laughs> cutest birthday gift. It's a mug with our logo on it. So now we have merch wow, for ourselves. This logo that I've made in PowerPoint. <laughs> I had someone look at the logo and they're like, whoa, you're like an official. And it's like, sure, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> second of all we've been outed to all of the people in our program as yep. podcasters so we're just like fully embracing it now yeah. we're just vibing um, i like dropped it casually on my tiktok and yeah. i was like hopefully this is not like no one notices and i can ease my way into this yeah. <laughs> hey yeah. it was gonna happen eventually right? i know well it makes me more comfortable with it now oh absolutely like i just don't feel like i vaguely have something i'm not telling like because <laughs> the girls like, okay, okay honestly only, like, i girls forgot that cohort. we weren't telling people and i was like <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, my podcast, because oh, yeah. our friend mentioned it to, like, our whole class. Yeah, which is good. It needed to good. happen eventually, yes. so I needed to just bite the <laughs> Thank bullet you, and do it. Yeah. You, you, you ripped that Band-Aid off for us, and Thank we you. appreciate it. Yeah. We've been fine looking for a way to rip that Band-Aid off without having to be, like, the pretentious, like, <laughs> we have a podcast. On my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so it was nice, because, yeah, now it's, like, I well, don't have to, like, vaguely censor myself <laughs> whenever someone's like, hey, do you have any, like, p- cool podcasts I could try? And I'm and like... Uh, well no <laughs> exactly because that was my favorite thing because the one person who like we didn't really tell but like we probably should have because we've known him for a long time a really long time cat um, would be like working with him in he collections and he'd be like hey like let's find a history podcast and cat would just have to be like uh-huh yeah let's go and i told him i was like I was like, you know that she did that, right? And he got so mad. Oh my god, it was so funny. I was like, sorry. And yeah. And then, mm. Oh man, good times. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that brings us to the topic of classes have started, yes. and we're all back to work normally. And again, if y'all got classes that aren't explaining your history, or you, someone skims over something in history that you're or, like, oh, that's cool. Let us know. Or if you're super pissed off about all the critical race theories bullshit that's happening in schools right now, yeah, and you want someone to actually explain that kind of stuff, we'll do our best. We'll do our best, or we'll point you towards resources that can do it better than us. Yes. We, like, please let us know, because it's it's absolute bullshit. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, so our we, we don't we aren't censored like we're not censored. Public school teachers. Greg are right Abbott now. cannot control what I say on this program. So Watch Greg Abbott just come up to us and be like, "Hey, are you two those? Are you those idiots that have that one podcast I buried would punch nowhere that man in the face? I would. Yeah, I, I, and yeah. Yep. What's he gonna do? <laughs> What's he Other gonna than do? punch you back, I, I mean, and I feel like he wouldn't punch that hard. No, have you seen that man? I feel like. He just kind of He like, got COVID and immediately got the like fancy treatment. Yeah, while well, he sent all the uh-huh. students back without man, man ma- without any chance of a mask mandate. You know, my mom had a good point. She was like, if they really want to prove that masks are working, all they have to do is look at schools who are and who aren't requiring masks and did see what you, their numbers are at. Like, did you see that tweet that was going around? That lady was like, "Isn't it odd how all the people, all the unvaccinated people, are the ones getting sick now? Government <laughs> targeting." And I was like, "Wait, you literally." Lap the point. You ran right past oh the point. Oh my god. Wow. That's like, like Oh honey. It's like you don't want to believe that people are that stupid, but people are people are that stupid. I guess if you buy into the theory that like it's a microchip and all that, but I'm like, if the millet someone complained that like service members are now getting microchipped and I was like, service members already have like 
Oh, service members literally sell their bodies to the, to government. the government. Like, like they have, like that's the requirement. Not in a bad way. Necessarily. Like, I'm grateful for our troops yeah. and everything, but that's part but, like, of the agreement. I mean, I it's had the friends, agreement. It's, yeah, I have friends that went into body. the military yeah. and they got vaccinated. Uh-huh. They got shots with stuff they didn't even know what they were. Why do you getting. think? I mean, I don't think they do it anymore. But the buzz cuts, like you totally are selling your bot, your physical being to the yeah. government. Yeah, yeah, that, that's part of the agreement. So yeah, it's was, like, like the whole thing. Yeah, and the other thing was a lady who was talking about it was like sent from my iPhone, and I was like. Honey, honey, you know that Facebook I, tracks you more than anything else. Literally, Facebook has literally been sued over how much they track people. Yeah. So. Uh. Anyway. anyway yeah. Well, we had um our first week of classes. Yeah. How, how are you feeling about them? Good. My little like. I, it was a weird week for me. It was just like health wise, I wasn't like totally feeling up to date where yeah. I usually am. So I just think that threw me off a little bit. But I'm very, ex- I think it turned excitement for the first week into just like vaguely like I'm here and I'm getting through, which sucks because yeah. it's like my last chance to be really excited about. And my And there's first next semester. That's true. We're on the semester system, so yeah. But yeah, I, no. it's not quite the same as like the first day. Yeah, but I'm excited. The classes, I think are going to give us a lot of opportunities. It's just going to be what we make of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can skim through, or you can, like, really try to put, yeah, like, I, the I hella effort in. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. It was weird. Like, the first day of class, I was in, like, a weird mood. I was, like, I was like in a weird You know what it felt mood. like to me? Being, remember in elementary school, when there would be a really bad storm, and you'd lose power, and only the emergency lights in the school would be on? Yeah, I was, like... And everything is vaguely darker and quieter uh-huh. and more suppressed, but there's you know no... know why? That's what it is. Yeah. You know why? Mm-mm. Those classrooms are quiet. They're oh, super quiet. and we've quiet. been in lecture halls and that reverberate sound. And we've been in sound. lecture halls and spread out. And so now we're in like... we. This is the oh. first time we've been in a classroom since we graduated undergrad. You realize that, Oh right? my gosh. Like in a class setting. And they're cool, guys. We have tables that are whiteboards. We have... We got bougie tables that are white i'm just glad to be sitting at a table again and not like some theater in literally a theater with my desk as my binder on my i know literally i i'm like wow i can just lean over and say some shitty comment to cat right like wow amazing i will never shut my mouth again i know (laughs) it's okay because they're so quiet in those classrooms i'm kind of like okay kaylee shut up (laughs) focus i it'll be easier to focus too yeah with some a teacher like standing over me instead Uh of like 50 feet in front of me yeah well the the problem with the whiteboard tables too they're very fun and very enjoyable however you know this cat but i doodle in class it helps me focus it really does because it like takes away just the right amount of attention mm-hmm. and so I can focus on what they're saying. However, my doodles are a lot more visible on the whiteboard table than they are usually like in my notepad. You can still have your notepad out though. And yeah. I, I've been, I have my little stress cube. I pulled it out last class. I, I noticed was like, oh, that, yeah. 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 Oh, one of our professors is pregnant, which is... Which is so nice. I'm so happy for her. Yeah, we're very happy for her, but it was also very unexpected. We were, I was... I saw her on the first day. I was like, is she? (laughs) Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know, especially this Uh semester. I mean, like health-wise, I know your immune system's compromised when you're pregnant. And it's like you're Uh struggling with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that class goes online or like virtual at some point just for safety's Uh sake if it gets really bad here. But everyone in our cohort is vaccinated yeah, thankfully. we're all vaccinated. so it's, and we're all wearing masks yeah. still and i if it gets um, bad i'll start i mean i have no problem double masking again yeah, either no. so i feel pretty like the setup we have going everyone's vaccinated we're all wearing our masks like mm-hmm. i feel pretty safe like yeah e- despite being next to people besides yeah. i sit next to like you and one of our other friends that i see all the time so i'm like if we're getting each other sick yeah then we're 
we're getting each other yeah. sick. Honestly, like, I'm more worried about other sicknesses at this point, like strep and that head cold that's been going around this yeah, year. Yeah, because everyone's like, it's catching all the stuff that usually hits in yeah. like the spring. Well, and it's like, it's I, hitting like, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just catching back up. So yeah, uh-huh. no, but first week I felt like went great. And I hope everyone else had a really good yeah. first week as well. Hopefully, um, to everyone out there listening, if you are in school, hopefully it's going well and you don't want to tear your hair out yet. Tear your hair out <laughs> or you don't hate your professors. <laughs> sending good vibes um if you're not in school then hopefully you had a great week yeah. or i guess this will be out on tuesday so we hope that monday wasn't totally unbearable yeah. for you yeah um good tidings good tidings to all best wishes warmest regards what does tiny tim say <laughs> a merry christmas to all and to all a good night yes is that what he says no wait <laughs> i just mixed up my like, God childhood bless us. Everyone. Everyone! There it is. I was mixing up my like. I was like, I'm so excited for the holidays, guys. Cat, do you notice something different about my face? Your glasses or the second piercing? The second piercing. Okay, I didn't want to. <laughs> no, I noticed it when you walked in. Well, the other day when we were with Emma, and she was like, Have you always had your nose pierced? And you were like, Yeah. And I was like, Okay, maybe I didn't realize that she had her second one pierced, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I literally forgot about it until I just touched it. No, yeah. Yeah, I noticed it, and I was like, Maybe I'm just noticing it because of glasses or something, but it looks good. It's cool, right? Where'd you get it I done? really like it. Um, that one place here. That okay, goes the to. one place that's not a risk. The, literally the only place the- anyone ever goes to here. Yeah. In oh, the nice. town where we currently am. <laughs> that's um, two Shit's Creek references just so far today, so we're, we're killing it. Hey, if we're going to reference a show, it might as well be Shit's Creek. I know. Um, yeah, it was only $20. Dang, that's pretty good. $20. I mean... She's a little swollen right now, but it is a new piercing. Yeah. I don't think I've mentioned it. I had a nose ring and I went and got a second on mm. the same nostril. Yeah. Um, for everyone right. in the audience wondering. Um, you know, me and my roommate had been kind of discussing it for a while. And so we're I like, like it. Did should she we get, do it? Did she get one? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. Yeah. She picked me up. I had to get my car aligned on Friday. Uh, um, so y'all went and got it done. Yeah. I was like, hey... I'll buy you coffee if you come pick me up from the dealership. And she was like, okay. And the Starbucks that we went to was right by the piercing place. And we were like, should we? I mean, why <laughs> not? Like, why the hell not? <laughs> I mean, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny is the guy who pierced me, I very vividly remember him coming into the museum one day over the summer. Oh, really? Yeah. He's a very distinct look. Huh. And I was like. You don't remember me, but I remember I you. I remember you. He was cute. <laughs> oh. Ginger. Huh? Get his number? No, I didn't get his number. Shut up. I'm pretty sure he has a son. Oh. That's why he was at the museum. <laughs> I oh. was like, you're cute, but you have a child. I'm not ready for a child. <laughs> not ready for that level of commitment. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, so that's... See, um, I would, though, because I'm not going to have my own children. Yeah, like, but biologically, I... Biologically, so, like, I couldn't... I could listen, date I'm someone not, with a child. I'm not opposed to dating someone with a child. But I get what you mean. We're too young. Yeah. We're too young right now to be... <laughs> that's not fair. We're not too young. We're just not in the place because yeah. it's never the wrong time if you want to have a kid. But like, yeah. we're not in the place to do that right Kat now. Kat and I are not emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> physically. There is a no way which we are prepared for children. Right <laughs> Absolutely now. not. We're really holding it together. I'm like, I can't get to work on time, and it starts at 11. I cannot have a child. Dang, girl. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I'm exaggerating. Are you? <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Anyway, well, anyway, it's good well, that we're settling into the school year and yeah, I'm I'm excited for things to just kind of like chill and smooth out a little bit. Yeah, I'm starting ballet up. 
like mm-hmm. in earnest again. So I'm very excited. I'm going to be stress choreographing the Nutcracker, the nutcracker. in my head whenever class gets boring. So if you see me tapping my feet, you yeah, know. Yeah, well, going if you on. see me drawing weird shit on the table, then you know what's going on in my yeah. brain too. And I was like, that's another thing. I also like to draw really weird, bad drawings because it's like, you know, it's not it's not art we're talking about here it's just like oh i draw flowers when i'm, I'm like it doesn't need to look good but then i feel like everyone's judging me because i'm fair. like wow that's a shitty drawing that's also fair, yeah and i'm like erase i'm self-conscious now <laughs> uh, so all right should we yeah yeah i'm ready jump into things so we have a themed episode for y'all this week episode because it is 30 30 which is crazy which is why when she said that in class i was like you know we're 30 episodes in we're 30 weeks into this at this point we should be able to tell them our friend who was like upset about it he was, he was like, like how many episodes, episodes do you have? like and i was like 30. oh we actually just put out 29 today and he was like 29 oh, i think he thought we were gonna say like four yeah. <laughs> hey man here's to 30 the big three oh yep we're old ladies now. I was about to say, that's double my age. And then I realized that is You were not 15. <laughs> I feel like I am. Ugh. Anyway, but yeah. So our theme this week, if you don't follow our Twitter, which you should because it's awesome. And you can yeah. guess the week before. We leave little mm-hmm. pictures for you to guess. Um, yes, yes, Follow yes. us at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast, podcast at... <laughs> I just completely blanked. <laughs> wow, I've never done that before. Okay. Um... Yeah, yeah, we we tweet out a guessing game the week before, and so this week we are talking about Jim Jones and the People's Temple, and Charles Manson and the Manson family. Bum, bum. So we got a juicy one for you today. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I Jim Jones and the People's Temple, like I that's everyone knows that. Yeah, but every time I like like am presented with the opportunity to hear more about it, I'm like, yes, I need yeah. to hear more. Well, and I think. We chose these two not because we're not a true crime podcast, but these two had huge effects on America. They're American cults. Um, Very foundation or like very formative, especially for the times when they happen. Like very earth shattering to American culture and everything, which Mm -hmm. is why we picked these two. Yeah, they're events. Yes, Um, more so than just like let's talk about true crime because yeah, we're not a true crime podcast. Yeah, which is fine, but um, just. We, we do both, love true crime. We, we both love, listen to multiple true crime do. podcasts. Um, true crime is, well, I don't want to say a good time. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is. Yeah. So, like, I'm sure y'all know what I mean. I listen to like some of the more, probably the more mainstream ones, like My Favorite Murder, and That's yeah. Why We Drink. Mm-hmm. I do listen to, and That's Why We Drink because I also like the ghost stories. Yeah, but that's you know, that's just me. Too. <laughs> yeah, um, spooky. But yeah, so we wanted to make sure that we weren't, you know slipping into a true crime podcast because i mean even with a history podcast it's kind of easy to do that because there is so much true crime in history yeah um, history really is just people hurting each other people dying yeah history so is just people dying. it's gonna yeah. pop up time to time and there yeah. are some murders that are hugely influential yeah like um, jack the ripper like, yeah that's a huge it's a folklore yeah. in itself you and know that impacts history so like we'll definitely be getting to those which is why anyway long-winded explanation yeah why we're we doing, chose this. we're doing calls today for yeah so, like I said, I'm doing Jonestown. Jonestown? Jonestown. 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 So, the People's Temple Agricultural Project is, like, one of the official names. It's also known as the People's Temple. It's It's got a lot of different mm-hmm. things, but that's kind of the, the category it falls under. Mm-hmm. Any combination thereof. And so, what I didn't... I knew it was, like, the biggest 
mass suicide in American history or mm-hmm. like, you know, um, it, some people don't consider it a mass suicide. That's why, that's why I'm hesitant to call it that. It was a murder in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. No, um, it definitely you know, walks like that line. Death it? toll. Yeah. Almost like largest non, there's a term that I can't think of and I wrote it down somewhere in my notes I'll get to it later um but yeah <laughs> until 9-11 it was like one of the largest death tolls in American history yeah I did know that like before 9-11 yeah. it was um so getting into this what I didn't know is that Jones had ordered hits on other people not just the people mm. that died at Jonestown and I had no like American I I feel like I did, like, American politicians. He killed a uh, congressman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I had no clue. So I was like, oh, he learned something yeah. every day. So the event itself for this one is really historically significant because it, it sort of represents the end of this idealism that was so prominent in the 60s when, mm-hmm. you know, they were looking for radical change, too, in the 70s. They were looking mm-hmm. for civil rights movements and all that. And Jim Jones had been a symbol of that for a lot of people. Yeah. So it kind of left this impression that, like, you know, no matter what we do, we just can't win. You just can't yeah. find. Well, I think his background is interesting, especially when you consider how successful he was, like, to yeah. just transition it into, like, a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's... I'll start off with his background because, yeah, yeah, I think it's important to understand. Sorry, who... I'll let you tell the story. No, I no, know, no, no. I do interject. know about this, so no, I don't want to, yeah, get ahead of anything. Um, yeah, I mean, Jim Jones is one of those people where an explanation is not an excuse. Like mm-hmm. his childhood and upbringing is not an excuse at all for anything he did but it later makes in his sense. life. But it, yeah, yeah, with criminal profiling uh-huh, and psychology, uh-huh. those do confirm that nurture and nature both play a factor in our minds and our development over Mm -hmm. time. So, and there are some things that, you know, like uh, they say that a lot of serial killers and stuff have frontal lobe damage because Mm -hmm. they either have an incident. They, you see it a lot in the most famous serial killers that they got hit in the head a lot as children or Mm -hmm. had a concussive incident or something Mm -hmm. that stunted growth in their frontal lobe. There's even some like, Oh, who is it? There's a really famous one who didn't get enough air when he was born and it damaged oh, his frontal lobe. I don't know who it was, but I do know because that's what the part of your about. brain that controls uh-huh. um, impulse control a mm-hmm. lot of the time. And like we talked about that with Phineas Gage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jones himself was born on May thirty first, nineteen thirty one. So hey, that's my mom's birthday. Wait, not May thirty first, not, not nineteen thirty one. Yeah, not in 1931. Like, that was before the My mother World was born in 1974. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was like, uh, Kaylee, no way. But share a birthday with Jim Jones, and I share a birthday with Kanye West. <laughs> really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know whose birthday I share with. Um, I'll have to look that up That's later. like the only person that I share a birthday with. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, he was raised in Indiana. Like, it seems like a pretty rural area of Indiana, so mm-hmm. the culture that comes with that, you can kind of make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um. He was pretty socially isolated as a child, but it wasn't clear if that was by um, his doing or someone else's, if he was more of a loner type or if he was like homeschooled and his parents kind of kept him isolated on a farm or something like that. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a lot of friends though. And I did see accounts that the friends he did have, he was like, he creeped them out in a Mm. lot of ways Um, that he was a loner. And at one point he was like so desperate for their attention and afraid that people would leave him that he locked his friends in a barn just to keep their attention. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. He also, this is why people go to therapy nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Well, this almost seems past therapy to me because I also found that he um, experimented on animals, not just hunting, but like 
he yeah. um one of his friends said that he literally was like cruel to animals and would like dissect them and mess with them yeah and i don't know if the homicidal triad is still a, a viable thing that psychologists consider but at one uh-huh. point the like homicidal triad was uh it was the setting animal fires cruelty. animal cruelty and bedwetting uh-huh um and i i think that's the homicidal triad right? sounds it that sounds right I don't know. And at one point there was discussion around whether or not that's a valid theory at all. But like, yeah, well, obviously he was showing already like some weird tendencies. Regardless of homicidal tri- triad or anything, like you should not be hurting animals. Yeah, that's an unempathetic yeah. behavior. Mm-hmm. And apparently even in his younger years, he was fascinated with, you want to take a guess? Hmm. Religion? Well, think, he was. I'm yeah. thinking of a person. And think being born in 31, who he would have been very curious about. Hitler? Yes. Yeah. Very interested, apparently, in Hitler, which mm. is not a vibe. I'm interested in Hitler, but because I hate him. Like, so there's yeah. a difference between idolizing Hitler. It's like that one lady once who, an old coworker of mine, where I was, like, talking to her, and she's like, oh, my son's very interested in, in Nazis. And I was like, oh, he wants to go to school for, like, civil rights stuff? And she's like, no, he just really likes reading stuff about Hitler. And I was like, uh-oh, we need to have a talk. Um, okay. Yeah. Because uh, I realized she was not talking about the same way that I have an interest in that part of history. Um, Listen, um, my guy talking about today also has an interest in Hitler, but, like, in the bad way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well yeah. and Hitler, I mean, to be fair, he is a modern example of extremely effective propaganda absolutely like and so to cult leaders that's so appealing because they're like how do this is how i control mass and you can argue that the nazi party is one huge cult absolutely it it, it follows a lot of those steps a lot of the processes a lot of the brainwashing and Mm -hmm. propaganda techniques so Mm -hmm. you know it should have been a red flag up front that he was torturing animals and liked hitler someone should have just been like hey this bro needs some help i just am like if your kid is doing that's like what do you do? i know how you know? and especially if they're like, like parent, already how do you isolated, address that yeah if yeah. you're already an isolated child you'd think your parents would notice mm-hmm. that more because it's not like you're he's like out, out friends doing all the time yeah. yeah like he's got to uh-huh. be at home i don't know i don't know either but he also had this fascination with like he said like you guessed originally religion christianity and stuff like pentecostalism hmm. so like not necessarily the mainstream stuff that was going around actually i don't know what mainstream religions were really being pushed in the 30s and 40s um i'm not a religious not historian either. yeah um but it's interesting we have as he grows up we can see this like cookie cutter idea of a cult case a charismatic person who uh-huh. learns how to build a power dynamic around themselves well it's exactly interesting what Jones to is me doing. is he i mean okay Every cult leader, or the overwhelming majority of them, we can all agree, are narcissists. Like, your classic textbook narcissist. And it's interesting to see how they adapt that personality. Because from what you're saying, he was not always charismatic. Yeah, he would have had to learn how to hide that. He would have had to learn that behavior and pick it up. Which isn't an uncommon behavior for narcissists. For narcissists, because they they learn how to reflect and mimic. And that's how they get so many people, is because... Oh, I like this guy. They're you just should, like me. Yeah, you're showing them exactly uh-huh. what they want to see. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be so fascinating. We could do an episode on this kind of stuff with maybe we, someday we can find a psychologist or qualified psychologist mm, to, or specialist fine. to sit down and talk to us about this. That this would, would be, be cool. Fine. Yeah. Because um, we'll make a disclaimer: we are not trained psychologists. Yeah, uh, we're just we're just saying we're words going over here. off of uh, what we know from our previous mm-hmm. knowledge and stuff, which yeah, is not life experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he had 
what I think helped him adapt this power dynamic and learn how to be a presentable, charismatic person is that he had practice in public places really early on in his life. He had been a street preacher. Like, he was self-ordained, which is, I mean, it's not mm. official. He was self-ordained, yeah. and he would always, like, go around and talk about these things like racial equality and other progressive ideals that would have been really astounding to people, especially in places like Indiana or the rural spaces. Yeah. So he learned through probably what I'm guessing is some trial and error, too, just how to be an attractive speaker. Right, attractive yeah, like, well, if you're on the i mean we know just from working the museum floor being engaging with each person you have to pick up those skills yeah and so i could totally see where that would translate into like each person that comes up to you is a new chance to practice your skills yeah but for us it's like oh wow this kid really liked the scavenger hunt and for him it's like yes i will use this to make a cult later yes yeah (laughs) exactly Well, and after he had started, like, preaching around and stuff like that, he realized, oh, I kind of want to establish my own my own church. Mm-hmm. And he kind of was like, oh, I don't have money. He starts looking to get rich, fast schemes. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, like, MLMs or anything. But, like, <laughs> um, he actually went door-to-door selling things. For a while, he went door-to-door selling monkeys. Monkeys. Yeah. I don't know why that was... Did he just have, like, a big box of monkeys? And I have like, no hey. clue. Or he put them in his, like... Coat his paperboy bag yeah no like no oh like, his coat flap like trench coats his trench coats he's like hey you, you want to buy a monkey, a monkey? <laughs> honestly wouldn't surprise me this guy seems i think that's what i'm gonna imagine because he sucks and that's kind of funny so yeah i agree yeah <laughs> let's hold on let's cling to that image yeah monkeys in a trench coat <laughs> yeah well i was like looking at pictures of this guy and i was like this man would sell monkeys like, <laughs> you seem I like a sprinkles know. guy <laughs> Who needs sprinkles, guy? <laughs> oh, TikTok. Oh, anyway, TikTok. So he founds his own church in 1955 in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Again, he's got like his self-studied theological background, but he's not a he's like not ordained officially, not yeah. associated with any real churches or denominations. And this thing that he starts up is unique in many ways. It's a multiracial congregation, and most of the world is still in segregation. Mm. Not just in the churches, but just in public. Yeah. This congregation being mixed. Okay, so what year are we? 55 55. is when he founds the church. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Did you say that? I'm sorry. I told you. No, no, no. I might have skipped it. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, But it's a diverse mix. But African-American people do tend to make up a good chunk of this congregation. And he used a lot of progressive ideas to make himself sound like this savior. Like mm-hmm. this idea of like, I, if you're following me, I will bring you peace. I will bring you... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what is the opposite like of segregation? Oh, um, integration? Integration. There you go. Like, <laughs> and it, it wasn't just on the racial front, but a lot of like yeah. other social issues uh-huh. like poverty and such. Um, by 1960, he starts, uh, affiliating with the disciples of Christ. And by then he is calling it the people's temple. He has his own name for it. But four years later, Jones becomes ordained with the disciples of Christ, like officially. Mm, And they preach a lot of activism as well. They appeal to this wide group of people, which is great because if you're starting a cult even if you don't intend it for to be a cult and you're just looking for to grow your congregation yeah. the more demographics you can hit the more successful yeah. you're gonna be yeah um that's true and a lot of the people that he's recruiting i mean if you think about the movements in the 50s and 60s like there's a, there are plenty of people that don't like segregation that want to move past all these antiquated racist jim crow ideas 
and they're all looking for a tangible way not just to say it but to physically be able to like put physical efforts towards it whether that's doing charity work doing um, Mm -hmm. outreach work like it's almost like you know if you have the option to like sit there and hear about you know doing good for your community in like a church or a ted talk or something like that versus Mm -hmm. going out and building houses for humanity yeah you're like oh one of these feels more rewarding yeah the physical Uh one you can Uh you have a way to be engaged in it yeah that makes Um, sense and so like i said the demographics he's pulling into this he's attracting them with this idea of like you can physically be a part of something that's advancing the world you can be a part of an integrated group Mm -hmm. and so he's pulling people from educated families less educated uh, families communities that are all over both in racial background financial Mm -hmm. background and that that group of people the one thing they have in common is wanting to build a better world and that itself is enough to build that sense of community within them Mm -hmm. like all of us here have a common thread all of us here are desperate to just fix some of these problems yeah um by the middle of the 60s jones is in his 30s now um they started this temple space in California as well. So there, it's like a multi-branch church. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which I didn't realize which at is, first. That's like impressive. I know. For a church to grow that fast. Yeah, it is. A lot of a lot of churches, like satellite churches even, I see it in like uh-huh. the Lutheran church. Uh-huh. I, I'm using that as an example because that's what I grew up in. Like that's the church <clears throat> I went to for a while before I went to college yeah. um, uh-huh. was that it was a satellite church started by a bigger mm. one in a nearby city because like – the like that's what you can afford to do that's the system you use uh-huh yeah no that makes sense i mean just thinking about like houston you'll see like one big church and then you'll go around and you'll see all these other like under the same name under be the like, same name yeah prince of peace or saint jude's yeah the hospital. one that's like close um, to our house is called gateway and mm-hmm. like they're a huge church and mm-hmm. i've seen I, you see like gateway stuff all over the place mm-hmm. too uh, and then you have ones like joel olstein's church in houston <laughs> Yeah, you do. Talk well, about a big he charismatic only has, leader. He only has the one church. Um, he doesn't need more than that. He uh, has the money to do more than that, but he well, does not. That man does not need any more. Anything. He has the one church, and then he won't let anyone sleep in it when it's freezing cold or when the Houston is drowning. Yeah. Um, speaking of hurricanes, shout out to everyone in Louisiana right yeah, now. Hope you're doing there, all right. I hope you're okay. And yeah. I think we do have like one or two listeners from that area. So like, yeah, no, please hope stay you're safe. safe. If you um, couldn't evacuate or you chose not to, please hang in there. Yeah. It's terrifying. I know it's that thing terrifying. escalated so fast from a tropical yeah. storm to a hurricane in a matter of like a day. I know. It's like a category four or five right now. It's so a category. I think it's they a said four, four the with last a force of winds of a five. Yeah. And I was like. So shout out to everyone in Louisiana. Again, sending good vibes. Good, yep. great, good tidings. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, it's the, this past week was the anniversary of Katrina. Mm-hmm. 16 year anniversary. So it like. Was. Yeah. I know that they've put like fourteen billion dollars into updating the infrastructure, the flood infrastructure there. Yeah. So hopefully it holds, and hopefully. we're hoping sending good vibes. Yeah, so, you know, hurricanes are rough. They're rough. Yeah, it's not a hang lot in of there. Fun. Um, yeah, yep. Anyway, anyway, sorry, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Also, because you said that, and I just I, I said the word sixteen year anniversary, and I remember. I remember as a kid. Mm-hmm. You remember when? And I'm realizing it's it's history now. It's, yeah, that's old. I remember way people older than I think. like from Louisiana, like evacuating, just coming and living in Houston. In Houston, because uh, it was a huge evacuation spot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like kids in my elementary school and um, they would just stay, they're like, yeah, we just live here now. Yeah. They had to, mm-hmm. yeah. Because remember, of everything I remember watching happened. footage on the TV and mm-hmm. being like, what do you mean? This yeah. is like, 
Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just dated myself. Wow, crazy. Again, it's crazy when your childhood experiences have become part of history. Yeah. Because there's no real definitive when does history start. History's mm-hmm. every second. My of brother day. was born after Katrina. And he just got Ew. A, oh, I feel old. Uh-huh. Ew. And he, today, they just got him an old truck to fix up. That's mm. how old he is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, I realized yeah. my little sister, she was born, like, right after 9-11. Mm. No, wait. I can't do math. That's my bad, guys. But she's basically a 9-11 baby. She was born before 9-11. But, like, she's basically... She doesn't know a time when we weren't yeah. dealing with the after effects of that. So, mm-hmm. it's crazy because i, I, I forget like with all the afghanistan stuff like mm-hmm. it's just the world it's just weird timing you live in yeah, yeah. anyway <sighs> anyway off that tangent sorry yeah right <laughs> um whoa <laughs> so one of the reasons he had chosen california as his like satellite church is because if you know anything about the 60s as well the threat of nuclear war was ah. um, very imminent (laughs) yeah and he had like read this article or something that was like the five places most likely to survive a nuclear (laughs) apocalypse and so he was like yeah this place in california we're going it's a safe haven i mean i guess (laughs) yeah um so well he even starts telling his followers like i foresee a nuclear attack on july 15th 1967 he's like well he was wrong about that he was wrong (laughs) wrong um actually not terribly far off if you've watched Umbrella Academy, but I don't think you have, have you? Well, that is also a piece of fictional literature. Shh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Maybe um, I'll watch it. I don't got anything please, going on right now. Please do. I love it. I want to talk to someone. My roommate's out of town for the night, so I'm going to be bored later. <laughs> watch it. Um, so, yeah, they, he's got them believing that there's a nuclear holocaust coming, so he's like, eh, may as well relocate to Cali. Have a good time. <laughs> um, and they settle outside of, I'm going to botch this ukaya ukaya i guess um u-k-a-i u-k-i-a-h um i don't know how you pronounce that i'm sorry if you're from there um there's he takes about a hundred people with him on this first kind of like satellite Mm -hmm. and then they grow and expands and then that one expands so much they open one in los angeles Mm. so like he's got He's got holds and really important Yeah, he's kind of all places. over the place. Yeah. Um, hey, Manson was in L.A. at this time, too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the age of cultism, There's I guess. literally something in the water. Yeah. Like, these people are this... Well, pfft. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lee, you can't say that while I'm talking about Jonestown. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't even realize what I did until Kat, like, looked at me, and I was like, ah! <laughs> I honestly probably wouldn't have caught it if I don't have a whole section addressing the phrase drink the Kool-Aid in this. Well, that's fair. Um, anyway, yeah. for some reason, mm-hmm. the 60s and the 70s were crazy time. Well, I think for... it's, it's a lot of it's because a lot of people knew they could prey on people who wanted this yeah. free love, free life, progressive movement, this mm-hmm. promise of a better place. Yeah, and, and that's, what, that's what Manson did, too. It's also a whole generation was growing up right then that had seen world war ii happening as children uh-huh and so if you think about their developmental years mm-hmm. they're they're looking for the opposite of fascism well my theory was always um there's a billion contextual a, things i mean to, to create to like cultist decade. cultist in like serial killers and like everything that was happening yeah because like there's so many serial killers that came back from then, the 60s that came 70s. From then. yeah my theory is that the 50s were just so suppressive that like people just kind of went crazy yeah i'm sure there's some fascinating literature on this that we yeah. could be reading but um i'll look into that yeah 
Because, I mean, the 50s, like, a whole decade of just conformity. Yeah. And with zero to, like, no room to breathe. Yeah. Like, that could it's a lot. make everyone go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there's a million, million contributing factors yeah. that, that, that this happened. And, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, so he's... These churches are expanding like crazy in L.A., Ukiah. Um, mm-hmm. And around this time, he's starting to talk about himself in a more mess, like as a messiah, mm. almost like a re- reincarnated holy being. He, um, I think he claimed at one point to be the reincarnation of Buddha or like Jesus or something. <laughs> so this yeah. guy is not exactly like classic, classic cult stuff. But when you've got that many followers, you can start pulling the riskier business. You know, mm. you can start oh, yeah. doing that. Um, mm-hmm. So, this is when he really starts pushing the ideas of communal living as well. Like you can, when you've got a bigger fan base, we've seen this in recent years, when you've got mm-hmm. a really big dedicated fan base that you can get to follow you blindly, you can say some pretty Absolutely. drastically exaggerated things and people will believe you. Absolutely. They will like believing that the vaccine is a microchip when mm-hmm. you literally carry a cell phone with you everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he starts pushing some bigger ideas, like him being the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And this church goes up and down with membership throughout the years. But as they start pushing the communal living and community-based ideas in the 70s, they think that the estimates... I thought that was... That's my fridge. Sorry. <laughs> the other day, my microwave, like, almost combusted. Oh. And it was really weird. And I had to pull the breaker and it like shut everything oh. off. So now I'm like hyper aware when I start hearing things. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. fun. No, it, it was, it's not so much combustion as like it started overheating for no reason when it That's wasn't even weird. on. And then the like exhaust vent turned on on itself and it was really mm. weird. Anyway, that is weird. Yeah. Ghost? Probably. I did have my coworker had something happen at one of the houses where she was like, mm. it's finally happened because she we'll hadn't had anything happen to her. That. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway. But, yeah, they think that not necessarily, like, living together or communal living or anything like that, but just members who had signed up or identified with the church, that there were up to 20,000 at some point in the 70s. 20,000? Wow. Okay. It took me a, a, a lot minute more for my brain think. to, like, process that. That's a bigger number than I thought. Uh-huh. Well, it's no wonder hundreds went down to South America. Yeah. Like, that. Jeez. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And the progressive stance originally i mean you can say whatever you want to your to your followers like your diehards and they'll still follow you but Mm -hmm. a lot of what he's presenting is the more moderate stances just the like he's not presenting i am messiah to everyone he's more Mm -hmm. like the public's mostly hearing his progressive everyone love each other ideas like Mm -hmm. not segregation so he's very politically attractive too Uh uh-huh well yeah i mean i that checks out. There's a lot of appealing things about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're talking like political groups like the Black Panthers were involved with them. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela Davis was involved with them. Harvey Milk. Harvey like Milk. the man I was talking I mean, yeah. when we did the, I talked about him, the yeah, you did. guy that was assassinated. Uh-huh. Um, first one of the, openly I think gay. it was one of the Pride Month. Yeah. So first, yeah. One of the first openly gay uh-huh. um, people to be in a political spot in California. Um, they were like, either active members or openly supportive of the people's temple. Mm. Um, I mean, again, surface level. Yeah. I, what can you do when your leader just starts to go off the tracks? You know? Well, and when uh, this time, again, we have a lot of dichotomy in the government, people who are still not past their years of Jim Crow and segregation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure the older generation still like, 
uh, back in my day, we didn't have to deal with this and yeah. everything. And then there's well, probably too, the younger politicians who uh-huh. are pushing for that. And this is that opportunity yeah. to get on board. Yeah, and well, too, it's a mainstream religion. It's Christianity. Yeah. But it's being taught in an accepting way. And I'm sure that's what people are looking for. Yeah. And in time when the Bible is being used to justify all these awful things. And right. And segregation and everything. It's like, no, this is BS. This group is finally, like, preaching an accepting version uh, yeah. of yeah and they i'm sure people like i still want to be christian but i don't want to support mm-hmm. bad christianity yeah, yeah. And, and he and he was appealing he found them appealing in return he donated lots of money to their progressive politics mm-hmm. to their campaigns to mm-hmm. their re-election funds and stuff and like you said service level they're so appealing because they ran a free dining hall medical programs in that's san francisco awesome. yeah drug rehab services like yeah. some of jones's right hand men were there because he had helped them kick drug habits and mm-hmm. like restart their lives but if you know anything about cult techniques in making someone feel indebted to you is mm-hmm. an incredibly effective tool so yeah. like making them feel like oh we we owe him our sobriety. We owe him mm-hmm. the new life we have. That is a very powerful tool as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's like buying loyalty. And Jones, even in return for his political involvement, was put in charge of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. Okay. Yeah, like... Sure. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, as, as a political leader, he's appealing, but as a cult leader, he's, like, juggling this dual like life mm-hmm. um that he's presenting to the world he's slowly starting to show some behaviors that are kind of well i mean he's already showing like i am messiah behavior which yeah, is kind of it's never good it's not good yeah. but he's like starting to be a little more controlling over the people in his mm-hmm. temple directly um he's kind of telling them like hey no relationships between y'all he thought it was a distraction from their work which to be fair that in itself is not an unheard of, I mean, plenty of religions, like, have that's cloistered, true. like, nuns. Yeah, um, that's certain true. Certain religions don't allow their that's priests true. and pastors to marry and stuff uh-huh. like that. So it's not unheard of. But it is a kind of, like, control. You start to see some of that control in their, like, yeah. personal lives uh-huh. seep through. And these people didn't, unlike religions, like, like nuns, you take the vow of celibacy. These people didn't go into this knowing this is a requirement, you know, Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden they're like, I'm a member of this temple. And then he's like, huh, you can't be in a relationship with each other. And they're like, oh, well I didn't sign up for that. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention that at some point he had, uh, dinner with Mrs. Carter, like the first lady. Uh Yeah. Like very high politics. Um, okay. Side note. Mm -hmm. We have to do an episode. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to Reagan, eventually but when we do him we have to talk about his astrologer what i don't know this you don't know no wait wait. you didn't know that what reagan had an astrologer literally on call that he consulted for every major political decision him and nancy Mm. isn't that weird i did i do feel like i heard somewhere that nancy reagan consulted like psychiatrist like not psychiatrist um like a pet psychologist or something I'm sure she was no pet psychics Mm. or something like that. That that is so interesting to me because it's like astrology. What I know, like Reagan. What? Anyway, I don't know. That reminded me, but I was like, I have to tell Cap. No, that is interesting. Um, we should do that. Yeah. So if you didn't know, and they like tried to make it hush hush, and they were like, oh well, only Nancy's talking to the astrologer, but it was like, 
Hmm. about major state decisions so interesting yeah no yeah, you'll have to do an episode on it and explain it more because i am uh, very i am gonna get the reagan one because yeah. of i will not history. do it i will not do it <laughs> it's on you um, oh lordy <laughs> yeah so jim jones is also claiming to be the only heterosexual person on earth and says that everyone else is homosexual <laughs> and so- and that they're all just compensating so they shouldn't date each okay, other. Okay, okay, okay. I feel like this is like, okay, so guys, I really don't want you to get married. Um, also, you're all, you're gay, all gay and I'm the only straight person ever. Yeah. So, okay. It makes him special. What <laughs> advantage does that give him? Because if he wants to like get ladies, but they're all gay, how is he going to get the ladies? I think because he can say like, you're overcompensating. You have a need to compensate because you're gay. So just be with me i mean i don't i don't know i don't know what like i didn't go super oh deep into like the sexual history of the cult yeah because it seems to be very confusing and yeah multifaceted i feel like that just like took a 180 like no well and i mean in an age of free love uh-huh. this is probably a lot less of a radical idea than it would be now i mean no that's true but i feel like it just was like okay some like kind of controlling pretty manipulative well and there's some and then all of a sudden you're all gay well and there's all there's also a lot of talk right now about with gender not being a set thing Uh like how the likelihood is that a lot of people are more sexually attracted to what they realize Uh and it's upbringing it's nature versus nurture that humans aren't necessarily inherently like like the need for reproduction obviously is not a driving factor anymore in fact we've literally overpopulated the world it's a problem now um and so that like without that being a necessity that it's just really interesting because yeah i mean i feel like we've gender and sexuality through history is so so fluid i mean ancient greeks had a totally different concept than we do i mean absolutely and if you like okay the victorians alone had a radically different idea of absolutely and like gender norms Mm -hmm. like a woman today is not what a woman was Mm -mm. in 1850 Mm -mm. and and people are still like oh like gender is real like no it's not it's created by your society yeah you know well and literally like standardized contextualized relationships are too Mm -hmm. like how you how you relate to family yeah so it's yeah it's in in a generation that is first coming to the to these ideas that like love can be free love can be Mm -hmm. open and stuff like that him saying like i'm the only heterosexual person probably wasn't accepted very well like, but mm, everyone was probably no? like okay, whatever <laughs> like okay like okay. you know like uh fascinating but yeah, yeah that was one weird thing that stood out that i was like oh okay yeah you, bro. no that um, is worthy of note he also starts claiming to be able to read minds um he claims to be able to faith heal which is something that some evangelical churches still do. Mm-hmm. Um, the media called him out on that, and some reporters called him out on that pretty early, saying, like, this is obviously staged. Like, these are not faith healings. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of y'all who don't know that part of Christian culture, it's the belief that your faith, it's kind of like works righteousness almost, that your faith will heal you. Your faith gives gotcha. you favor. That, like, you can be in, like, a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and, like, the person will stand up from a wheelchair and mag- magically be, like, not magically, through miracles of God, yeah. uh-huh. the pastor can, like, lay his hands on you, you and make you walk again or yeah. get rid of your cancer or something, which is incredibly toxic because it also says things about, like, 
people with disabilities that are not disabilities. Yeah, or like, like depression or yeah. other mental illnesses. Like none like, of that is. Oh, it's, you don't have to go to the doctor. It invalidates. God will heal. No. And like, it perpetuates the stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> these are bad things and they're not necessarily bad. They're just a different way of life. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, it's a very interesting, very interesting whenever someone talks about faith healing to me because it is not. It's got such a weird history, but he was mm-hmm. claiming to be doing faith healing. And again, for someone that believes in faith healing, that's very attractive in a culty recruitment way yeah. because you think, I've got this ailment. I've got this thing. I've got chronic pain. If mm-hmm. I just follow this man, maybe yeah. someday he'll it's touch me and he'll yeah. fix me, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and it preys a lot because people with chronic illnesses who have tried every medical necessity yeah. are willing to try anything. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly... like. I, I can't imagine preying on people like that, but yeah, um, not a great thing to do. Yeah, um, he was getting people to straight up like by disillusioning them like this and selling them on this lifestyle. He was getting them to sign over everything they owned, like houses, yeah. cars, mm-hmm. financials, everything. Mm-hmm. And when you come into a communal living situation, most people expect that they're like, yeah. "I'll give up what I have." But like, he it's, has control of that money. Yeah, then. and that's a cult thing too is financial dependency. Yeah. Not just a cult thing, just any manipulative manipulative relationship is yeah, financial it's dependency. dependency because is, it, you whether or not you like it, you do need financial Yeah. I mean a lot of abusive relationships function mm-hmm. off of money control and everything too. Exactly. Yeah. So he's also unfortunately I did find a really sad article that talked about some of the blackmail he was using against people Mm. that he made some of them like sign papers trigger warning here for um some stuff but that they had like making people admit and sign papers admitting to the fact that they had like molested or assaulted children Mm. and that he could use the the ones that were being raised in the commune so that he could use it against them later if they ever Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. even if they hadn't even if they hadn't like they just had to sign it because it was like a that's a control yeah because it's what is the word i'm looking for um bargain no i don't know mutually assured destruction ah like like if you talk bad about me mm -hmm. jim jones and i will release this paperwork saying the where you openly admit that you did this yeah um yeah and there's accounts of physical assault humiliation like just super humiliating behavior Mm -hmm. forced labor um Mm -hmm. and at some point along the way he started telling the minorities that like if you leave this church, like, we gave you an integrated place to be equal here. And if you leave this church, the world is going to, like, put you in camps, deport you, do all this mm. stuff. And the sad thing is, he's not far off. I mean, a lot of these people have memory of internment Chinese camps. internment camps yeah. and stuff like that. Like, so Japanese. for them, it's Japanese, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for them, that's not a far cry to believe that no. they would do it again. Uh, yeah. Um, he's definitely, I mean narcissists are usually pretty smart like yeah. he's definitely you know especially he's studying doing. hitler uh-huh, uh-huh. um he's even getting families to like turn against each other telling them like hey if your family member is doing something report them like tell me like i'll hmm. yeah it's very yeah because the only allegiance can be to him yeah exactly uh-huh. Uh-huh. he is their god their messiah yeah, there's you know, no families it's just him yeah mm-hmm and some of the outside world starts noticing how shady this shit is. And it's like, they're speculating about it. It's trying to talk about it. And he feels like their privacy is by being violated, which mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, you're just being a crap person, but, um, yeah, it's not 
uncommon for cults to relocate also because it cuts off the physical connection. They're mm-hmm. physically dependent. They are isolated. financially dependent, isolated, yeah. mentally, emotionally, and religiously dependent. Absolutely. That is like six massive facets of the human experience mm-hmm. that they are completely dependent on him for. Yep. Um, so as they call him father or daddy, I... We're going to stick to father. Um, Do they really call him daddy? They called him like dad, dad, father, daddy. Like, I think daddy was mentioned in one or two of them though. And I was like, uh, (laughs) whoa, that's crazy. Different context now, guys. (laughs) I was like, he said father. And I'm like, okay, that's culty enough. And then you said daddy. And I was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, no. um, I think that at some point there were a couple records where people called him like daddy Jones or something. Daddy Jones. We're not going to talk about it. It's like Papa John's. (laughs) Papa John's is a lot better than Daddy Jones. Are you kidding me? Okay. Papa John's and Daddy Jones is Stop. the same I'm thing. I'm going to start calling Papa John's Daddy Jones. I literally call him Daddy Jones. Papa Juan's. <laughs> Papi? What? 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 Papa oh, Juan's? Papa John. Oh, I yeah. was like, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm just saying oh. in Spanish. Speaking Spanish. What? Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he relocates Father them. Jonathan? I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay, um, we gotta focus. <laughs> so in 1977, he's like, yeah, we're gonna like physically isolate this more. And he takes a good chunk of them far away to a country east of Venezuela in South America named Guyana. Guyana? Guyana. Mm-hmm. Guyana. 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 Yeah. I, that doesn't roll off my tongue. It's like cotton mm. or alcohol. Words um, are hard sometimes. Yeah. And he names this little space for himself Jonestown. He already had a bunch of people working down there. Uh, they went down in 74 to establish agricultural land in the jungle. Working, He worked on like building it up for a couple of years, but he sent, like I think, like 500 people down there originally to wow. just kind of start really shaping it up yeah. for human, inhabit- human habitation. And eventually gets about 1,000 people to, to move down there with him to really finish it all up and agriculturally make it sustainable and that was way over what they should have been able to hold population wise like it couldn't support that many people and they've still got this inner propaganda machine running they even have to attend classes there that after a full day of work they have to like go to these night classes where it's basically just jones giving them propaganda and like all this religious stuff Children were surrendered completely, pretty much, to mm-hmm. live communally. So parents are cut off from their children. Yeah. Um, and this is all being enforced and overseen by armed members of the group called the Red Brigade, who force them to, you know, building buildings is a pretty harsh, intense physical labor. Yeah. And doing that for the whole day and then going to classes at night and not being able to sleep and stuff is exhausting yeah. and that's another thing and that's another tactic yeah is that you physically make someone do a lot of physical work burn off like electrolytes carb mm-hmm. starve them like they're yeah there are techniques and then whether or not he realized like oh you gotta starve someone of the carbs and then give them electrolytes all this stuff whether or not he knew that he knew that there was something to making people mm-hmm. physically work keeping them so exhausted keeping them so busy that they can't have the time to sit and think yeah. about what's actually exactly. happening yeah um uh-huh um, that's what the modern work week is. Anyway. Um, oh, no. Let's not get You're into right. that. We'll okay. be here for three hours. <laughs> oh, I've actually never. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll chat about okay. it later. We'll, we'll chat about it later. Maybe we'll, we'll look at food and we can, um, can hash that this. out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So, yeah, no one is questioning the status quo because that red brigade, red brigade is, like, carrying, like, actual weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and letters, phone calls, communications are all being monitored. They don't have their passports anymore. They were taken from them when they arrived. Mm. They're susceptible to disease, diseases and sickness out there because they don't have real medical yeah. equipment and stuff. Um, in fact, there was apparently a bout of, like, some sort of... I don't know if it was in the drinking water or the food or what, but everyone got like super high fevers and couldn't keep food in their bodies for mm. like, and for like months, this plagued the whole entire Ugh. commune. Like, they, they were like all sick. Yeah. Um, never underestimate the amount of damage that dehydration can do to the mind. Like it yeah. emotionally, physically, it's bad. Like fries so, your brain. Literally. Yeah, it will. And so these people are literally like, it's easier than ever for Jones to control them. Mm-hmm. And Jones supposedly has started to lose some of his mental health at this point. He is completely addicted to drugs, pretty much. Um, still claims to be a holy reincarnation. And Classic. starts comparing himself to Vladimir Lenin and Jesus. Oh, those are the two best people. Uh, right? Like, I, you know what? If I when was I to grow anyone. Up, when I grow up, I want to be a combination of... Vladimir Lenin. And I want... Jesus Christ. I'm just surprised he didn't start comparing himself to Hitler or something. Well, maybe he knew that was too far. Uh, that's true. Maybe he was that's like, true. maybe privately. People like, might actually see the word Hitler and not like what I'm doing to them. <laughs> what? Crazy. Wow. <laughs> so much like we've seen before, he convinces the members <clears throat> that the media is out to destroy him. Oh, because when you cut off viable. Yep. When you mm-hmm. cut off viable media sources, mm-hmm. where are they going to get their information? Where are him. they going to start realizing that? Like, mm-hmm. they're being treated poorly and that, like, so not only does he cut off the outside world to them, he victimizes himself through Absolutely. it and makes them sympathetic to him again. Um, so he basically claims fake news everything and that the media and then the rest of the world following the media is out to destroy them. They're out to get them. Of course, yeah. And I, it's really hard not to... Make compare, uh, yeah. yeah. Basically, if you if you can convince your followers that the media and news sources are lying to them, they'll never trust anyone mm-hmm. else again. Yeah. Other than that thought that is fed directly from their leader, mm-hmm. and we've we've seen that happen before in history. Time again, time again, we've seen it happen lately. Um, and it's yeah, you can see how detrimental it is. Mm-hmm. So, um. He actually hires a known Kennedy conspiracy theorist to start spinning awesome. stories about the government, FBI, CIA, all he that. Hired? Wow. That and so he he hires this theorist to start spinning these lies to tell his people that the government's out to get him and them. So now he's turned the government against them, the media against them. Mm-hmm. Why does this sound familiar? Oh my god, the more I talk about this, the more freaked out I'm getting. Okay. This is why everyone said what they said about what you're talking about. Oh my god, you're right. Okay. <laughs> this guy is like deluding himself though. He builds himself a throne in the main pavilion. No, he's just like off his rocker. Yeah. Like he's just gone. Yeah, I'm not sure what's he's in mental. the stratosphere. <laughs> I'm not sure what's illness, physical illness, mental illness, and then drugs. Like all of it is uh-huh. culminating, which uh-huh. ironically also happened to Hitler at the end. Yeah. Parkinson's yeah. is a killer. Um but he literally plays recordings of his teachings over the loudspeakers day and night. They I was going to say like 24-7. Yeah, yeah, it's just everywhere. And yeah. like blasted. Yeah, I do remember hearing. Because that is a form. It's a psychological torture form. Like yeah. it's, it's. You literally can't escape him. He yeah. is everywhere. Mm-hmm. He will know everything. He does it. It's so constant intense. overbearing yeah. presence. Yep. And I mean, he literally threw his life. And there's accounts of it in this adult portion of the <clears throat> people's temple that he was still reading Hitler's 
like academia on Hitler to learn how Hitler was using mm-hmm. the propaganda machine mm-hmm. of World War II and Nazi Germany to strengthen his empire. Like, fascinating. Yeah. Um, so this is where shit starts to hit the fan. I, I'm going to cuss. We've said a lot worse on this podcast, I think. Scandal. I think I've said shit, like, probably not ten times, but not more than five. Well, originally already. I was like, oh, I won't, I won't cuss too much. But then I was like, I don't think, like, middle schoolers are listening to this. And if yeah. high schoolers if high do, schoolers, they've heard it. Uh, they, plug your ears, please. Yeah. Anyone so. under the age of 18, cat's about to cuss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll just beep. <laughs> yeah, right. Um. So this is where it does start to hit the fan. Um, there's a married couple. And I, I heard a lot of, this fascinated me. I saw a lot of stuff about a adoption or custody scandal that brought a lot of attention to Jonestown. So mm. I dug deep a little more and mm. tried to figure out exactly what happened. And there's a married couple, Tim and Grace Stowen, who have a child named John. Jones claims to be his father, hmm. even though Grace and Tim are married. I don't know if Grace, you know, slept with Jones or what, or had some sort of relationship with him or what, or maybe Jones claims to be the father because he considers himself the father of all the children in the commune since they're basically mm-hmm. surrendered to mm-hmm. the communal living. And like they have like a nursery and childcare system set up there. Yeah. But I don't know in what capacity Jones claims to be the father. I figured it was some level of like physical DNA paternity. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but Tim agrees to let Jones have paternity. Like, claim paternity. Mm -hmm. Grace herself, the mother, starts realizing that something's really sketch, something's happening that's wrong, and leaves the church in 1976. But she left her son behind with Jones. Tim, Grace's husband, leaves Mm -hmm. the church a year later, and together they're like, okay, we need to get our son out of there. Yeah. John needs to come, needs to leave the church, and we should try to fight for custody. Yeah. Um, And Joan refuses to comply when the court sides with the Stoans. The -hmm. court said John should not be in Guyana, also because, like, they're in America now. He's all the way down there in South America. Mm -hmm. Whether or not Jones has paternity, there's questions of, like, welfare and all that. And Jones is like, I absolutely refuse. He doesn't like anyone undermining his authority. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want the precedent either that people can legally be pulled out from underneath him. Um, And unfortunately... Before they can ever get John Victor Stone back, he ends up being one of the hundreds of, one of the mm. miners that dies on yeah. the final day of Jonestown. Um, but this had brought, this custody case, inter- like nationally, had brought yeah. so much attention to conditions and mm-hmm. suspicions. And just a lot of attention to like, what do you mean communal living? What does yeah. that mean? Because what, is- what I always heard, because you know, there's hundreds of people who are living in that. I'd like, what, right. like 800, right? Nine, over 900. Over 900. And those people have families, mm-hmm. you know, and the families are like, what do you mean you're going to South America? And mm-hmm. they haven't heard from them. Exactly. They're well, like, a lot of, what is this? Some families yeah. cut those people off. Like they gave uh-huh. up everything. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, like, and so I'm they sure this like said, kind of thing and their families yeah. were like, fine, but don't come back to us, you know? Uh-huh. So there's like half of them that literally cut themselves off from their families to mm-hmm. be with Jones. And then half of them, you're right, are like, their families are like, where did, what do you mean? You're moving to this yeah. tiny it used to be a British colony uh, not so long I'm, ago, like, uh-huh. protectorate. Like, what are you doing there? Yeah. And why? who are you there with? You're going to go live on a commune? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? And I'm sure that, like, suspicions had been brewing for a while, so the case just probably brought it to, like... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. attention. Yeah. Um, so... The Stowens, in their process to fight for custody, had also written to a lot of elected officials. 
mm-hmm. and they like we're talking like congressmen not just like your local like judge or something like that they yeah. were writing to the high up people because mm-hmm. this was an international case then yeah. because john was still stuck in mm-hmm. jonestown and the people in jonestown during this time over this period because this is in 76 the final day of jonestown is 78 mm. the people in this town in these couple of years during this court case become more and more defensive they think the media is out to get them the government is out to get them and now they think they're losing their children and their children are going to be taken away yeah. they're like physically getting defensive they're stockpiling mm-hmm. weapons they're like oh, that's never good no it's not um you always once the weapons start coming in you're you like know, oh, this is gonna be gonna messy. Go down. Yep. yeah um and the removal of so many people like you said like families who are just like my my daughter my husband something just like mm-hmm. picked up and left it's making enough people skeptical where leo ryan a california congressman wrote a letter and was like hey can i visit jonestown like just mm-hmm. just to calm people's fears like yeah. just to do like a welfare check almost mm-hmm. and at first the request was rejected and i'm sure that ryan and some of the other like congressmen are like we used to know this dude yeah like, he's he's you know, whatever's being claimed, uh-huh. he'll he'll either put those le- uh, rumors to rest or he'll at least be cordial to us and everything. Mm-hmm. But Jones rejected the request the first time and then later said, okay, never mind. In, in 78, he says, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. come mm-hmm. down here. Mm-hmm. He goes, Ryan goes to Guiana's capital, Georgetown, on November 14th. And he kind of gets stalled there. People are like, no, never mind, you're not coming. And so he, he sticks around there until the 17th, where Jones, to go visit Jonestown itself. And he had heard from people that, you know, loved ones are being manipulated, not mm-hmm. just like, but that they're also being forcibly held, that some of them mm. do not physically want to be there, not just brainwashed, but actively know it's not a good place to be and can't get out. Yeah. But then again, mm-hmm. Jones has been censoring their their mail, their mm-hmm. letters, their phone calls. So for them to, you know, get information out mm-hmm. to people is yeah. big. Um, they'd also heard that their bad living conditions, not just on how they're being treated, but that, like, the soil there wasn't good enough for farming. So they're having to import some stuff, like food, like flour, and they're not getting enough of it. So it's not a, it's, like, healthy place to be. And he, Ryan brought some journalists and family members of the Jonestown people with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not just as a PR thing, but as a, like a, hey, the media wants to see. The world wants yeah. to know what's going on. Uh-huh. And Jones finally willingly meets them. They're greeted at the compound with dinner and entertainment. I think some sort of singing was going on. And some people from the People's Temple tell Jones, or tell Ryan, we want to go home. Uh-huh. We want to get out of here. Yeah. And it pisses Jones off. Mm-hmm. There was some kind of complicated, I wasn't quite sure i saw like one account of it but again it's hard to know what's like been sensationalized mm-hmm. that someone tried to slip jones uh slip ryan a note okay i i think i've heard that yeah. too where they someone tried to note. slip him a note saying like it's not safe here like we need to get out i need mm-hmm. out i want out and then that like it accidentally got handed to one of jones like right hand men who then gave it to jones mm-hmm. and was like your people are defecting you're like they're they mm-hmm. want to leave mm-hmm. and it was like causing huge huge issues but eventually a dozen or so are like get us out of here we don't want to be here anymore and what's jones gonna do in front of ryan like say like no they have to stay like he's still trying to uphold this sort of like mm-hmm. oh maybe it's just not for them everyone yeah. else is fine it's just not for them um and they head back to the airport with some of these defectors 
And Ryan knows they need to all fly out together. I'm not leaving behind these victims. Yeah. And it means they need a second plane. But the second plane that they charter, the U.S. government sends it, and they have to wait around a little longer for it to get there. Mm -hmm. In this time, right before they left, by the way, before they left the compound to go to the airport, someone tried to stab Ryan. (laughs) And, like, it didn't work. But, like, Ryan's like, okay, bye. Okay, maybe it's time to go, actually. (laughs) Um, So... They're all making their way to the airstrip, and there are temple members in them, like in trucks, to escort them there. They start mm-hmm. boarding the planes, and the temple members in the truck do a drive-by. Yep. And um, Ryan and four other people are shot dead by the gunmen, and others were injured. Three of those people that died were members of the press. Yeah. And the rest of them had to like run into the forests mm-hmm. to get away from like the hail of bullets that was coming down on them. Yeah, so, yeah. And that's where yeah, that's the point of no return because mm-hmm. Ryan could have gone home and said, this isn't great, but the people who wanted to leave left, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No, they definitely sealed their fate because and all of a sudden they got the, they really they do the have, yeah, they really do have the government coming after them now. Yeah. Because yeah. whether or not you were murdered, lying before now, you, yeah, you real. murdered several people. Like it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and Jones knows because Jones sent those men to do that. And Jones yeah. is in hot shit and tells his 900 followers over the radio that the congressman had been murdered, which calls for revolutionary suicide. Mm-hmm. And that that was the only option. He kind of assembles a bunch of them and the rest are all reachable by this radio. And yeah, this whole thing is recorded. Yeah. It's called the death tape. I listened to it beginning to end. Yikes. How um, long was that? Long, over an hour. Because, well, it depends yeah. on which copy you find. Because there's some that just have his mm-hmm. like the call. Main, like to, the highlights. Yeah, well, yeah. the highlights and, like, him sitting in the room. Like, it's almost like a sermon, the mm-hmm. way he delivers it. Like, the call to finally yeah. do that together. And, and they... then there's some parts of the death tape, though, that if you listen long enough, you can uh... hear the people doing it. So, I... Listen, Cat does this kind of stuff for her research all the time. Yeah. She puts herself through examining this type of media it, a lot. This one did get to me though. Yeah. Like and usually, for yeah. it to get to you, viewer discretion advised yeah. heavily. Yeah. I do not recommend going to listen to that. Yeah. Like, no. If you want to listen to the sermon part, it's fascinating from a psychological standpoint, but please don't listen any more than that. Like if you, yeah, that's rough. Don't. It was, there's something, yeah. there is a difference between seeing like, pictures and then like audio what fascinated me about jonestown the first time i saw it was that i didn't realize that the pictures are bodies Mm -hmm. and like because i was like what are those all over the ground and i realized like no that's how many people died i know it covers the ground yeah and so didn't they do like rehearsals yes for the okay Mm -hmm. are you gonna talk about that a little bit yeah yeah um but yeah so the death tape it's weird how much I wanted to listen to it because I was reading all this stuff about what he said and all these articles were talking about how he called for revolutionary suicide, that the Guyanese military is going to show up in retribution for what they did, that the American government is going to take their children away. And what fascinated me is the amount on the tape. Cause when I listened to it, I was like, he won't stop talking about the children. Mm-hmm. And I realized he's using children as collateral this whole time. He built up the court case, the custody case. He's, been holding the adults yeah. captive by the children. By the children. Mm-hmm. And he's the like. Because they don't want to leave their kids. Yeah. yeah. And all he's talking about is that, like, they're going to take your children. 
mm-hmm. if you if you can't be with your children what's the point like yeah. you, like we have to do this now because they're going to take your children if you don't do this it's better to die with your children than without them and like yeah it's literally so like literally says if we cannot live in peace we must die in peace he sold this ideal that like the only place you can have a perfect utopia is here with me and if you can't have it here then what is the point of living in a world that's so broken outside and yeah that's that's rough yeah and so and i mean for these people who have been conditioned for months for years to believe everything he says well and what's what's very disturbing to me when i was listening to that is it sounds creepy i mean it's a recording from the 70s so it's got mm-hmm. that like weird crackle, crackle in the background and it's it sounds like listening to an old radio transmission mm-hmm. but it's the people in the room with him cheering and screaming mm-hmm. and it being a combined church you're getting a lot of different reactions yeah. you're hearing the people who are like 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 emphatically like standing up cheering i'm calling him a messiah and then you can hear people on the tape stand up and object when he starts calling for the suicide you can hear people stand up and say like well why don't what we have we have money we have passports let's just go to another country let's just mm-hmm. leave let's just do this and he's like shooting down their attempts not to oh yeah i didn't life. realize it was like a whole i thought it was just him spewing no his shit. It, he's in wow, a room with people talking to his congregation huh and it like you hear their reactions to everything he's saying and yeah. they're cheering as he says like we're doing this because there's no world yeah. like that'll fit us anymore and they're like cheering for it oh and it, it's the I sound mean, it's... like if you've ever been in a church that's a very loud like congregational evangelical church the way they stand mm-hmm. up and yell like yes lord they'll like put their hands in the air and stuff mm-hmm. it's that it's a sound mm-hmm. i've heard before because i've been to that kind of church yeah. before and it's very disturbing wow um, that's crazy yeah so he sends out the order after he shoots down all these people who are trying to find other ways mm-hmm. to deal with it he sends out the suicide order which um calls on them to drink this punch and it's not kool-aid it's actually a similar brand called flavor aid but it is where we get the term drinking the kool-aid um and a lot of survivors actually ended up talking about how they hate that phrase so much because it trivializes literally 900 plus people being brainwashed well i because you know i heard it before i ever knew about jonestown and Same. i was like what i you... didn't realize that's yeah. where the term came from and i've never yeah understood then... the term all the way so i've never said it and now i'm really uh-huh. glad that i never understood well it. and and it's like it's like you would never think that that little like kind of funny you know mm-hmm. like kind of ch- tongue-in-cheek saying I thought it is was about reference... the death of 900 people. Well, okay. I'm not going to lie. I thought the reference at first was to frat parties because I only heard that phrase when yeah, I got to college. Honestly. And so yeah. I always, and I never said it cause I was like, I don't want to make light of women being drugged and assaulted. Yeah. So I never said the phrase. And then I didn't, I didn't realize until I was writing this article and I was like, Oh my God, that's not about frat parties. That's about, yeah, that's about Jonestown. About and Jonestown. I'm like, Either way. Either way, it's awful. Bad. But, yeah. Like, it's just, like, why... You don't want to trivialize that. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, why is this, like, weird little saying that, you know, you've heard people kind of joke about your whole life, literally about the death of... Like, there's a lot of phrases like like that. put that together. There's a lot of phrases like that that are, like, ingrained racism or, like, traumatic events. And it's, like, unlearning those, like, is important. Yeah. Because it's not Mm -hmm. okay. But basically it was a fruit a fruit punch drink sort of thing mixed with cyanide tranquilizers sedatives and a bunch of other chemicals um at some point jones has got had gotten a jeweler's license 
And jewelers can buy cyanide because it polishes gold. Mm. So he had been stockpiling cyanide, and it was enough to put into this vat of punch. Mm-hmm. And children had to go first. The infants had it injected into their mouths with syringes, and then the older Aww. children got shots. Um, and you can you can hear children screaming on the tapes, mm. like not understanding. And they had run like tests with the cocktail before of sedatives and stuff mm-hmm. on like animals to see how long it would take. And it took most of the children about five minutes to die. So with all the children going first and mind you, there's over 300 children mm-hmm. in this compound. It is over a third of the deaths are children. And so all of these parents are watching their children die before they can die. Mm-hmm. So they like have to watch that happen. And I'm sure that after wa- you watch your child die, then it's like, past the point of no return i yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to not follow through with that. um so um some of them you know as the adults began to take the punch to jones himself uh i mean he has the red brigade standing around with guns mm-hmm. so that if anyone tries to run or flee they'll be shot immediately mm-hmm. and that's where this debate of like it's not suicide it's murder he brainwashed absolutely. them and no, forced absolutely. them into this if they didn't drink that punch they did it themselves they were get shot. but it was it was mm-hmm. murder like, and they did absolutely. find that like there were some people that didn't die by the punch jones himself mm-hmm. was had took a gunshot to the head that uh-huh. they think it was self-inflicted because they found him laying with a pillow beneath his head. Mm. But there is a small chance that it was like his um, a, a secretary or something like that who would yeah. also who was found with a gunshot as well, who might have shot him and then herself. Mm. Um, but you you would have had to coerce at least some of those people to do it. Absolutely, um, even after all that brain, like no, it yeah. was forced. And yeah. the Guyanese uh, troops show up the next morning to just find the mm. bodies everywhere and that's what jarred me about these photos is just like i thought i thought they were like tarps covering food or like the fields and then i realized it's tarps covering bodies like it's a blanket of it's like really hard to look at that many bodies and comprehend you can't fathom you can't you can't fathom enough people laying side by side to Mm -hmm. cover a field's worth like to see 900 bodies laid out yeah like that's that's just so much Uh, yeah um and when when the officials got there and they start looking around, they fire. They find all the firearms, the passports, the half a million dollars in U.S. currency, millions of dollars tucked away in overseas accounts. Mm-hmm. They realize the resources that Jim was, J- Jones was hoarding mm-hmm. for this. And, I mean, by the end of 1978, the entire church is declared bankruptcy. And over the course of the next couple of years, one man is tried in the States, Larry Layton, and he was the one on the airstrip Mm. And he's found guilty of conspiracy and participating in Ryan's murder. I don't know if they ever figured out who fired the shots, but Ryan had like 20 gunshot wounds in his body. Like it was, it was overkill Mm -hmm. because they were mad at him. So, um, he got life in prison, but he was released in 2002, Mm. which is, you know, you talk about brainwashing and what people are actually responsible for their actions and stuff. But, um, all of those people and their bodies had to be sorted out too. A lot of them were brought home to America, but so many of them had cut ties with their families to move down there that over 400 of them were never claimed. Wow. Um, And there, a lot of them are together in Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California, where a lot of the original members came from. Wow. And the debate about suicide or murder has raged on in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the white knights are what those practice runs were called Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Criminal Minds episode that I realized is modeled after Jonestown. And a lot of Criminal Minds episodes are actually are, modeled after yeah. real cases. Um, but it's the one with um, oh, that famous actor. He passed away last year, um, two years ago. Mm, I can't remember his name. But, like, they they had loyalty tests, basically. It's mm-hmm. the one where they're in the compound and they're trying to save the little girl who's married to the cult leader. Um, but... They had been done this previously where he ordered them to drink the punch, telling them it was suicide. And um, then later was like, it's not. It was just a test of your loyalty, a test of all this. So how many of them thought, you know, this is just another it's test? It's just a drill. Yeah. And then as soon as five minutes in where the children start dying. You start seeing people start actually like, die. You're oh, like, oh, yeah. Um, <sighs> you realize what they're having to do. Um, and there were, a, there were like two notes recovered from Jonestown. One of them seemed kind of regretful, and the other one almost seemed, like, excited. Hmm. And there are, you know, groups that look forward so heavily to the future of, like, a utopia, a heaven Mm -hmm. together that is perfect, that, like, they're happy to die. And, you know, if that's how you reconcile death, that's fine. But, like, this was brainwashed into them, so it obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't okay. Um, uh, Other adults, some of them were found with needle marks, which suggested they weren't willing to take it and they got Mm -hmm. injected with it um and the argument for murder really shows up with the children because they didn't know what they were doing yeah absolutely yeah Um, especially the babies like absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and and again with jones having weapons pointed at them making them do this like it's obviously murder they're gonna die one way or the other yeah exactly um and so there were survivors some survived from the jonestown branch um like it's it's really crazy um the morning of the 18th when it all started to go down 10 or 11 members had claimed that they were going out on a picnic and they walked 35 miles to get out of the compound wow two men had lied and bluffed their way past security three others had been sent out to by jones to deliver money to a soviet embassy um there were others at temple outposts like in georgetown the main area Mm -hmm. um that didn't get the call or chose not to commit suicide, including some of Jones's own sons. Hmm. Um, There was one woman, Hyacinth Thrash, who slept through the whole thing and woke up the next morning, walked out of her cabin into the, like, into the fields of of dead bodies. Yeah. Oh my God. Among them being her sisters of poor Edwards. (sighs) And until 9-11, this was the largest death toll in American civilian casualties in a single non-natural event. Over 900, I saw the specific figures hovering around 909, dead from the poisonings, not to mention the murders on the airstrip, and at least four committed murder-suicide in Georgetown, the capital at his command. Mm. A third of the victims, at least 304, were minors, under 17. That's not counting 18-year-olds, 17. Um, um, Even even the freaking pet chimpanzee that Jones had. was shot and killed um not the monkey <laughs> i know even those survivors 33 or so of them weren't safe later when they came back to america uh, a couple like a male and female couple was murdered one committed suicide and at least a few other were murdered what the heck um one uh one guy who came back from jonestown literally carried out a shooting at like a public school and killed someone before turning the gun on himself and killing himself. Which, how do you recover from that trauma? Yeah. Like, can no. you? Um, 
Yeah. And Reiterman, a journalist who survived the shooting at, at the airstrip, and I think he worked for like the San Francisco Chronicle or something, went on to write a book about the event called Raven, the untold story of Reverend Jim Jones and his people, which is still considered to be like the definitive history of the Jones cult. And he added that he recoiled when outsiders took the attitude that they or their children would never be crazy or vulnerable enough to join such an organization. Such complacency is self-delusion, mm-hmm. which is that age-old thing like you don't understand until you're put in that spot. Yeah. Like, which is how decent human beings over time have been dragged into terrible situations. Mm-hmm. They don't always realize they're doing it. And we have that talk mm-hmm. about cannibalism too. Like you don't know yeah. what you'll go to, what your mind will make you do sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good reminder. We can't look at that and say like, Oh, what were they thinking? Like mm-hmm. they didn't at a certain point, it, they're victims. Like they couldn't uh, no, they say were, no at a certain victims. point. They were absolutely, they, yeah, they had no say anymore. Yeah, so that was really long, but I was no, that was I feel really like it good. wasn't enough to fit quite two full episodes, so I was like, I gotta fit into one. I but know, the, no, that was good. The discussion of cults also takes a lot of psychological discussion too. Uh-huh. So yeah, no, that was really that was well done. Thank I think you. you did a good job summarizing it, and it made sense. Thank you. It was it was yeah. very good. Thank you. Well, I'm ready. To unfortunately, be depressed. By yours. Um, just so everyone knows. I am splitting it into two just because I That's sat down call. I sat down to the to do the notes and I really wanted to it, it was it, honestly it probably worked out better because I think the two halves are going to be smaller than a normal story mm-hmm. but you just talked for a long time so we're not going to keep you all here for all day but yeah. um so it probably ended up being better but uh, I just was like I really want to make sure that I do justice to not only Charles Manson. No, I don't want to do justice to Charles Manson. Yeah. I want to do Screw justice him, to... Yeah, that guy sucks. Victims, yeah. To the victims, to the story, to how and why people ended up there, mm-hmm. and also to, like, the kind of effects on American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to split it into two parts just so no one gets mad at me when yeah. I abruptly end later. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So today... I'm doing the first half of my, I guess, two-episode series on Charles Manson and the Manson family cult, Manson family murders. They have a whole bunch of names for them. Uh, before I get into this, it's uh, this the crimes committed by the Manson family are pretty graphic, um, extremely graphic, actually. If you, for whatever reason, want to have those details, they are available to you online. However, I will not be providing all the details um just out of sake of respect for the victims and um this is not really the kind of show we have here so yeah um i will be talking about like i just want i want to be factually correct so i'll be talking about how they died um and certain things like that but i'm not going to go into like detail about like step by step this is how the night happened um So, because that's also a very time-consuming thing. Very time-consuming. I ran into that a little bit with Jonestown because I was like, mm-hmm. if I recount every note that was passed or something, that's going to yeah. add another hour to it. Uh-huh. So, on the night of August eighth, nineteen sixty-nine, Tex Wat, a man by the name of Tex Watson, um, and three women, Patricia Quinn or Quinn Winkle. Susan Atkins and Linda Kasabian all drove to the home of the director Roman Polanski and his wife, actor Roman Sharon Pol- Tate. I didn't. 
How did I not know? realize that Roman Polanski was married to Sh- I think it was very briefly. Okay, sorry. That yeah. threw me off. No. Um, Roman Polanski, not a great guy, but... No, um, he's not. That's why I was like, yeah. what? So, um, these four members of the Manson family, as they're called, drove to the home of Roman Polanski and his wife, uh, Sharon Tate, and Sharon Tate was eight months pregnant at the time. The home is now demolished. Uh, this It's a pretty famous address. It's on... Um, like when you look up stuff about this story, it'll talk about because there's two homes that they kind of hit. Um, one is they're both in like the LA area, but this specifically this address was 10500 Celio Drive um, in Los Angeles, and uh, the home is I believe now demolished. But um, little fun fact for you, uh, Trent Res- Resner of Nine Inch Nails recorded an album there before. Uh, they tore the house down because, of course, he did. Because it's wow, that's very metal of him. Trent Reznor and Nails. <laughs> that kid is hardcore golf. Hardcore golf. <laughs> <laughs> so Polanski was out of town um, working on a film, so he was not home. Maybe that's why I don't know about that. Yeah, aspect because of it. he wasn't. He wasn't really, like, involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tate, however, Tate did have some friends over. She had um, her hairstylist, Jay Sebring. Um, Abigail Folger, as in the Folger's coffee. So she's the heiress to, like, oh. the Folger fortune. It kind of reminds me of Gretchen Wieners. Gretchen Wieners. My, my father, the inventor <laughs> of toaster strudel. <laughs> um, uh, my father, the inventor of Folger's coffee. And her boyfriend were all present. In addition, there was a teenage boy. I believe he was 18. His name was Stephen Parent, uh, who was there just to see his friend, who was the caretaker of the house. So all of these people are at the house um, on the night of August 8th, 1969. Imagine having a house big enough for a caretaker. <clears throat> right? I mean, I, I mean, work in a like, house big enough for a like, caretaker, but, like, imagine living in one. They're, like, literal, like, movie stars, but... <laughs> um, so as far as we know, there's no real connection that Manson had to any of these people. The biggest connection there is he used to be friends with the person who lived in the house before, who I will talk about um, later in the story. Uh, But there's really no reason why this house specifically was targeted. Um, Unfortunately, this is, again, I'm not going to go through every step of the night. Everyone I just listed will be dead by the end of the night. Um, So... The four members of the family approach the house, and Tex Watson seems to be the most aggressive of the perpetrators. Um, they come armed with three knives and one gun. Uh, the 18-year-old Stephen Parent, who was um, just there to visit a caretaker, was actually trying to pull out of the driveway and leave for the night when the Manson family approached him and killed him in the driveway. Um I believe he was shot and the rest of the people, they kind of worked their way through the house. It's um, disgustingly sad that you were so close. I know. Really, really new meaning to wrong place, wrong, wrong time. I'm so um, like literally if you just left, it's like people who's like parents die in a car crash when they're like on their way to pick them up from an activity or something. And you're just, yeah. it's like the guilt of like, if I hadn't asked yeah. them to come pick me up or if I hadn't mm-hmm. been sick and needed to be picked up early from school, like the guilt mm-hmm. of that is just unimaginable. Yeah. Um, so from my understanding, uh, they kind of worked their way through the people who were present that night, killing them one by one, leaving Tate for last. Um, and it is 
her blood that they used to paint the words pig on the wall. Um, At the request of Manson himself, he told them to go do this, kill all the people there, and leave something, quote, witchy behind. Um, So they, in in Sharon Tate's blood, painted the word pig on the wall. Um, Most, these were, I, I can't exaggerate this enough. These were not just like, oh, we're going to do a job. Like, it's not like just a hit. It's not a, we're going to get in there so and kill them. So it was like personal. Them. It's like violent. People were stabbed over 50 times. The f- okay. It's disgusting to know this, but the amount of physical exertion it takes yeah. to stab someone that many times is exhausting. 50 times. To cut clean through bone and mm-hmm. stuff, it's it's harder than people think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that is kind of where the most famous part of the story is from. So I wanted to start with um, that part just to get it over with. I'm, And then the next night when they do the la bianca um killings but well, and the the pig thing was a police reference right they were starting yes, trying to instigate. kind of yes i'll get to that um okay, okay. i so, just i wanted to make sure because yeah. like i wasn't sure when that term came to be an insult for cops insult for um cops. i'm not sure either and it is but it isn't what you're thinking okay okay so before i get into that though i did want to take a time i there is a vox article um about this whole story, it's called The Manson Family Murders and Their Complicated Legacy Explained. And they uh, do a really great job of explaining this. And they actually took the time to um, write out bios on each of the victims. And I was just, I wanted to read them. So we have Abigail Folger. She was 26. And she was, like I said, the heiress to the Folgers. She was that young. Yeah, the Folgers coffee fortune. Um, Folger had instantly. Uh, blah, 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 blah. She hadn't simply rested in the lap of her luxury. She graduated from Harvard with a master's degree in art history and worked for a time at at a Berkeley Art Museum before moving to L.A. in 1968. Once there, she threw herself into activism, doing volunteer social work for an urban welfare program and worked for a racially charged city council campaign. She and her boyfriend, um, that has a really hard name, um, She and her boyfriend, Wosiek Frykowski, spent most of the spring and summer of 1969 house-sitting for Roman Polanski and his wife, Sharon Tate, at the house that the murders would happen in. Even though Tate returned from overseas work at the end of the summer, Polanski invited Folger and Frykowski to keep living there through August. So they were all hanging out in the house together on the night of August 8, 1969. Mm-hmm. Um Apparently, I forgot to put the boyfriend's name in my list. I was my bad oversight. Um, so then we have, so that's um, Abigail Folger. And then we have, oh wait, maybe I did it. Maybe I just didn't name him. Uh, then we have her boyfriend, Wojciech Frykowski. Frykowski grew up in Poland and studied chemistry. He became bar buddies with Roman Polanski while hanging around film studios in Lotz, which I'm assuming is a place in Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lutz, yeah. He worked as a lifeguard in Polanski's first pil- film, Knife in the Water, and ultimately moved to California, where he met girlfriend Abigail Folger. In Polanski's autobiography, Roman by Polanski... Of course, that's what his autobiography is named. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did you catch that? Roman by Polanski. By Polanski. I hate that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not great. The filmmaker reportedly described Frykowski as good-natured, soft-hearted, to the point of sentimentality, and utterly loyal. He was 33 the night of the murder. Stephen Parent was an 18-year-old who graduated from high school just two months prior to his death. 
He was a native of Los Angeles. He loved music and he loved to play the guitar. He was working two jobs over the summer to pay for his enrollment in community college to the fall. To supplement his income, he tried to sell small electronics and mechanical devices to his friends, including his friend William Garrison, who worked as the caretaker of the Tate House. Parent visit, visited Garrettson at the house the night of August 8th in order to try to sell him a small clock through through total bad luck, he was driving out of the gated residence the moment the Manson family members entered. Though he reported ple- reportedly pleaded for his life, Tex Watson, Tex Watson shot him four times. Then we have Jay Sebring. He was a Birmingham, Alabama native and a Korean War Navy veteran. Sebring became a celebrity hairstylist in the in the 60s by importing many European fashion trends to Los Angeles. Tricks like the then astonishing tactic of shampooing, men, shampooing men's hair before styling it. <laughs> he hmm. did hair for several movies and is credited with designing Jim Morrison's iconic hairstyle, as well as inventing the entire men's hair, men's hair industry. His salon grew into an international hair company before his death. Through the mid-60s, he and Sharon Tate were extremely close, first dating and then remaining best friends. Sebring was 35 years old when he was killed. And then we have Sharon Tate. Um, she was a Texas pageant girl and army brat. She broke into acting while attending she high was school a in Texas Italy. Girl. I think I knew that. I think she I knew not. she was from Texas. Yeah. Um, she originally broke into acting while attending high school in Italy. She had already made a name for herself as a fashion model and comedic actress by the time she married Roman Polanski in January of 1968. Now a cult classic, 1967's Valley of the Dolls established the typical media response to her performances, which tended to fixate on her sex appeal while mo- mocking her acting abilities. I do know that. I do know she was like a sex pod. I did know that. Yeah. yeah. Tate. Uh, Tate's role in the film garnered her a Golden Globe nom- nomination, and Polanski always believed her in her talent. A short form film made about her in 1965 described her as today's kind of girl, bursting with youth, beauty, vitality, and hope. She was 26 at the time of her death. So I just wanted to take a time to read those because I thought that was important. Um, no, and it, it kind is of, to acknowledge that the victims aren't. They're not victims. just like victims. They're, they're people real people. With lives. So, um, with Tate being the last killed, they used her blood, like I said, to write the words pig on the wall of the house. Um, and this is actually, we believe that this is done for two reasons, really. Prior to, um, this, the kind of thing that, the thing that event, sorry, let me get my brain right. The event that set off the murders at the Tate house was that there was another murder committed. Um, the, I believe it was the night before the week before. Um, and it was another family member, another Manson family member by the name of Bobby Bosole, um, had killed a man named Gary Hinman and he used his blood at the crime scene to write the words political piggy on the wall in his, uh, um, and then also a black Mm. Panther logo. Yeah. And so we believe that that initial murder was their attempt to kind of start this race war that Manson wanted. Um, which I will explain in a little bit more detail later, but, um, so they use that word pig. Yes. To call cops out, but also to make it seem like, the other family member who had been arrested at this point for the murder of Gary Hinman 
um, to kind of make it seem like he wasn't the one who was committing it. Cause look, it's happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to maybe get him out of jail. <sighs> so literally the next night, less than 48 hours later, uh, we have another hit by the Manson family. That's a fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. Like, this, like if you're criminally profiling, you'd say that that's like a, a steep escalation. Yeah. Um, and if you notice, uh, Manson was not present the first night. Yeah. So he is there tonight. And so he brings the same group of four people. So he brings Tex Watson, Tex Watson. Why can't I say that? Patricia, Patricia, Susan, and Linda. So they all, along with Manson and then two more people, Leslie Van Houten and Clem Grogan. Patricia drove... is Patty Hearst, right? Like, is is Patricia Patty Hearst? Patricia is Patricia Quinwinkle. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I know the name Patty Hearst associated with all this, but I don't know why. Yeah, I don't... Actually, I'll look it up. You keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So they drove to... 3301 Waverly Drive in LA, which was the home of the LaBianca family. And the LaBianca family was a pretty well-off, um, like, middle-class family. Again, they had no connection to the Mansons whatsoever. This was literally chosen, like, at random. Um, and I'll get, I'll do their bios too because, um, important but so we have lino labianca who was the son of an italian immigrant labianca was a brilliant student who married his high school sweetheart before serving in europe during world war ii and becoming a sergeant first class in the army reserve thereafter though he fathered three kids his first marriage disintegrated after the war in 1959 he married again in vegas in a vegas wedding to rosemary labianca and though her kids lived with them in their house on waverly drive the children were with friends out of town on the weekend of the murders, Lino LaBianca died alongside his wife on August 10th, 1969, just days after his 44th birthday. I lied. Patty Hearst is connected with something completely different, and I don't know my, why my mind conflated her with <laughs> Charles Manson. She was part of this other, like, she was the one that was kidnapped and then, like, brainwashed oh, into yeah. the Symbionese Liberation Army thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why my brain literally yeah, was like it's Charles Hollywood. Manson. It was yeah. obviously a very different thing. Sorry. Yeah. No, That's cool. my bad. No. <laughs> So Rosemary LaBianca grew up in Arizona and moved to Los Angeles sometime in the 1940s. During her late teens, her first marriage resulted in two children, but ended up in a divorce. She turned her attention to business on the profits of of a mobile dress shop she invented. She became a self-made millionaire and wealthy investor. In 1959, she married Lino LaBianca, and in 1968, the pair moved to his childhood home on Waverly Drive in what was intended to be a temporary living arrangement. And she was killed by the Manson family on August 10th, 1969. So they go to the LaBianca house and commit an equally horrific, in fact, I would say even more horrific, definitely, it seemed more aggressive. This seemed. How does it get more aggressive than 50 times? Um, there was a bayonet involved. <gasps> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all you had to say. Yeah. So after they killed um, the husband and wife, uh, Lino LaBianca, they carved the word, word war, W-A-R, war, mm-hmm. into his chest, um, chest and stomach. And then they used Rosemary's blood to write more messages on the walls. This time, this time they said, rise, death to pigs, and helter skelter. Helter skelter. I do yeah. know that one. Unlike me mixing up Patty Hearst, I do actually know <laughs> that that was yeah, the Manson no, thing. this is Manson. So, let's... Freeze frame, rewind to 
30 years earlier. Born to teenager Kathleen Maddox on November 12th, 1934, Charles Manson came into this world. He, for better or worse. For worse. Um, his biological dad apparently had abandoned his mother shortly after finding out she was pregnant. But shortly before she gave birth, Kathleen married a man named William Manson, which is where Manson gets his last name. However, he did not live with his parents. Um, he from what I saw was kind of thrown around. It was very, it was anything but stable. He was kind of bounced around between relatives for most of his life. And none of them seemed like a particularly healthy environment. Um, like he never stayed with his family at all. Really? It was relatives, but not his parents, like not his huh. mom. I don't okay. know why, but um, hmm. it was 1934 and she was a teen yeah. mom, but I just, and it was depression, you know? Yeah. No, no, no. I, uh, who context knows? again. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's um, weird. Like, because I'm like, oh, 60s and 70s. And I have to remember these people were born then. In, like, I know. The I was like 1934. And I was like, oh, duh. Honestly, it throws <laughs> me off every time. It's the evolution of clothing. Yeah. Because if I think about, like, someone in, like, the 30s, you know, like, mm-hmm. mid-length, T-length dresses. Mm-hmm. Still pre- very Between the formal. wars and all that. Yeah. And I realized they could have been born when hoop skirts and crinolines were still a thing. Yeah. Like, very mm-hmm. easily. So what throws me off is fashion history. Yeah. Sometimes. And then they you get to. Massive strides. You get to change. the 60s and then it's, like, hippies. Yeah. And it's, like, whoa. And it's, it's like, hard to conflate those against each other. Like, side mm-hmm. by side happening consecutively. Mm-hmm. So, again, always messes me up. But Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Like I said, any of these homes he was staying in did not seem to be particularly stable or healthy environments. Most of them were described as abusive or neglectful at best. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just not really... It seemed like they really treated him as more of a burden than anything. And this led to him kind of having being involved in crime from a pretty early age. We know that he was probably doing some petty crimes before this, but... um, by the time he was 13, we know for sure that he um, was doing this because he was arrested for robbery. Um, and this landed him a stay at the Indiana Boys School, which was a kind of a reform school. And unfortunately, during his time at the Indiana Boys School, um, he... Uh, I just realized I forgot to put where he was from. Oh my god, silly me. Hold on. Um, I just didn't have that information and literally uh, earlier when i was writing this stuff about <laughs> a few days ago when i was doing the jonestown's research i was like it took that's me a because... bunch of different articles before i found one that even mentioned where he was born i was like that's relevant information no guys. yeah that's because the articles don't say it okay i'm not crazy i'm not going to take the blame for that um yeah. they just the articles just don't say it um i'm assuming indiana well, because he was in the indiana board school yeah i was about to say if he yeah. also bounced around they probably they don't might list not. him as yeah. being in one place growing up in one uh-huh. place so somewhere in the what midwest india Indiana got Jones and Manson. <laughs> yeah, well, around it was, the same time too. What was? It was Indiana. Yeah, it's the Midwest. Sorry, I, listen, guys. We got talk to anyone in the Midwest, Midwest, and they'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, but unfortunately, during his time at the Indiana Boys School and the several other reform homes that he lived with or lived in throughout his teenage years, he did reportedly endure some pretty rough sexual abuse situations. <gasps> oh no um that's not good no so a few years after a few years a series of escape attempts and transfers to other juvenile centers um and just kind of like being bounced around he was being bounced around his family and now he's being bounced around in the system um apparently in his late teenage years manson also reportedly began committing sexual abuse acts um okay that's even other boys that's even worse 
There is no yeah. excuse for that. No, absolutely not. Um, we do not continue cycles of abuse. No. So this coming happening obviously put him in the Ohio Federal Reformatory. So now we're in Ohio. So I think that might just honestly be the case. He just didn't have a home and was just kind of bounced around in the Midwest. So in 1952, he is sentenced to some time in the Ohio Federal Reformatory. Um, I believe this was kind of like a juvie situation because he was released in 1954. Well, no, he was 17. That's not juvie. Um, He was released in 1954 um, when he was 19. And for the first few years after he got out of his first day in, like, prison, his he seemed to be doing kind of well, all things considered. He actually... Um, Rehabilitating out of prison at a young age, too. Like, you never develop the skills you need yeah. to be... And this kid, like, I can't imagine... Like, he can't... When you're constantly being bounced around and not being allowed to, like, sit and settle... Yeah. Like, you can't fo- you can't learn anything. You're constantly on guard. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. Yeah. Like, and if It'd be different if it was a family that moved around mm-hmm. a lot, but he didn't mm-hmm. even have a family structure to There's nothing on. consistent. There's no yeah. geographical home. There's no emotional home. There's mm-hmm. no family home. So... Yeah. So not a great, not a great start. Um, so he actually got married and moved to Los Angeles um, for the first few years after his um, stay in prison. And it seemed on the surface, he was like, okay, he's like starting his life. Not bad. Um, however, he never actually did clean up his act and mm. he was um, imprisoned again three years uh, three years later in 57. And during the time when he was in prison, his wife took her opportunity to divorce him, which in 1957 tells me that she was looking for a reason to divorce him. Yeah. And with his track record, I can't imagine. No, there's um, some probably some stuff going on there. Absolutely. That... So the next 10 years of his life, we don't know too much about specifics, um, because he was kind of just hanging out in Los Angeles. However, we do know that they weren't any more stable than before. He Mm. was constantly in and out of prison. He was basically always on probation. He would become a pimp at one point and was briefly married again. Um, And kind of during all of this, he's trying to make a name for himself in Hollywood. Is there an official name we're supposed to use instead of pimp? Mm, I don't think so because okay. the articles I saw referred to sex workers as sex workers. Okay, so I, I was like, sure. I just realized yeah. that I haven't in all the conversation no, about like correctly labeling yeah. sex workers. I've never heard anyone discuss what to call a, a pimp. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Because I know it's like a madam is the female. Yeah, as the female. But those are two different things. Pimps have a very different. As they have a very different connotation. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Um, that's all. So topic. I had that I question curious. too, but I assumed it was okay because the article also used sex yeah. work. So I was like, well, if they're using sex work, then, then they're obviously trying yeah. to use the correct term. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. Yeah. Um. So he apparently was convinced that he was going to become this master singer songwriter. And he spent these 10 years while he's in and out of prisons, trying to learn how to play the guitar, trying to make connections in the music industry. I did know about his obsession with the Beatles. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And he was super focused on the Beatles. He watched them. And I think part of that attraction was, um, the fact that they had such a cult following and dedicated members. That's the attention he was seeking throughout all of this. He literally never had attention in his whole life. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden that's, that's what he sees as getting Mm -hmm. you attention as being like the Beatles. And so that's what he focuses on. Um, Unfortunately though, uh, as I kind of just mentioned too, he he was working on not just perfecting his skills on the guitar, which I don't think he ever actually was decent on the guitar. Um, He was also 
quite actively pursuing um, and kind of studying. I don't know how like meticulous he was, but it was very clear he had an interest in religions and cults, and particularly like link to Jim Jones. mm -hmm. There's obviously that's why I said religion pathway. Yeah, to get to the cult leader point, it's definitely interest in showing groups or controlling groups of people. people. And apparently, he reportedly even asking some of the pimps he knew for advice on how to control and manipulate people. Uh-oh. Specifically women. Don't like that. Yep. And so, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of cult leaders are not only charismatic, they're attractive. Mm-hmm. And Ted Bundy was very attractive. He's not a cult leader, but he's a serial killer. So, yeah. like, it, it, like, women tend to be more, I think, in, they rely more on their instincts than men, on mm-hmm. the gut feelings, because they rely on that for a lot of protective, you know, yeah. stuff. But I think... That is one of the few things that will disarm women. Mm-hmm. I, like, not... I shouldn't say that because... Well, I mean, that's it's not the fair. 60s, that's a you gender... Know? I was about to say that, that's an unfair sexist comment to make that looks will... Dis, like... Yeah. Looks will overcome that gut feeling. But in the 60s, like... Well, when women are conditioned and raised differently than they are now and... And now women are taught... If, if they're attractive, they can still be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But back then, I mean, they talk about how Ted, for Ted Bundy, that was an advantage. He was mm-hmm. handsome. He didn't... Because no one... I was like... You don't look it's at him the and whole, get a it's the, Yeah, it's the halo effect. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Charles Manson was not particularly attractive. But he wasn't bad looking But he either. wasn't bad looking. And I'm sure he was extremely charismatic, as with... Every other cult leader. Well, and by those, the handsomeness standards at those times, I think he probably seemed a little more attractive, mm-hmm. too. Like, yeah. the long, lanky hair was a vibe in the 70s. It totally was, yeah. in the 70s. Um, Again, if you watch Umbrella Academy, I find Klaus very attractive. Maybe I will tonight, Kat. We'll see where you're the night gonna takes You're not going to find him me. attractive. I know your type. But... Is he the skinny one? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's cute. But not for me, per se. Um. So the next kind of notable move he takes is a literal one. In 67, he moves to San Francisco, which if you know anything about San Francisco in 67. Yep. What a time. It's a vibe. Wow. What I would not do. I think if I like had a time machine, I would have to go like hang out in San Francisco for just a little bit. Like, yeah. Could you imagine if if you're not familiar with um, American cultural history, California. this is one of the biggest and most profound counterculture movements of American history. I would say is Probably like the, is the most yeah the most influential um, was the hippie movement. Yeah, and again, I think it comes out of the suppression of the fifties. Yes, because if you think about the people who were like 1920 and the late sixties, they were raised in that oppressive society of the 50s. Um, And San Francisco was literally the epicenter Mm -hmm. of it. This was the magnet. People moved across country to go live in a communal setting in San Francisco. And this was not always a good thing. Don't get me wrong. And specifically for women, it was a very, very... It's kind of like how the sexual liberation movement... Yeah can be taken too far you know how like waves of feminism get confused like no how like you can't tell a 14 year old that it's okay to have sex in the name of sexual liberation oh i see what you're saying you know what i mean like that's the kind of thing that's happening here so we've gone so far of the other side that women are now in danger just because of like it's expected that they have sex and they kind of lost that autonomy over like no i 
reserve my right to refuse to have sex. And so women were kind of, especially mixed with like drugs and not having a stable home. Um, women were pretty vulnerable in San Francisco in 67. And again, they're navigating this like newfound freedom. And that's always hard because when you think about American history, women have not been given freedom. And so this is just like a new thing that is having to be figured out. And unfortunately that was a process. And this leads to women in San Francisco also being particularly vulnerable to people like Charles Manson, who is now actively recruiting cult members. So yeah, at some point, um, he decides that he's going to have what he calls the Manson family. His first recruit is 23-year-old librarian Mary Brunner. And he is actually attracted to her because she does have a stable income and a home. Um, yeah, so, that's very appealing for a counterculture person. Yeah, yeah, who's like just living on the streets of San Francisco, probably. Yeah. Um, so she was able to provide him with a home, but she also financially supported him during his time in San Francisco. And he spends the next few months continuing to recruit people um, into his Manson family. Uh, Before he leaves San Francisco in the fall of 67, he were to recruit the youngest member of the family, and she was 14. Nope. And this is where... That's grooming. This is where we have the problem, because the 14-year-old, she moved to San Francisco with her parents, who were a part of, you know, hippie freedom movement. Mm. And the family was so open to these new liberated ideas that they allowed her to enter a sexual relationship (gasps) with him. Oh my god, I thought you were gonna say that she just joined and that he, like, slowly groomed her. No, it was sexual off the bat. Oh my god. No, 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 no. Yeah, so that's what I mean by, like, it too far oh that poor little girl yeah so that's what i mean by like it's too how old was he at this point um in 67 he was 33 yeah what wires have to be crossed in your head to find that attractive i yeah no no age above like a Mm -hmm. no age would be acceptable well i mean it's it's he's a cult leader you know why why is there always like that sexual element of cult power yeah it's power dynamic i'm i'm literally bleeding over here are you okay yeah i scratched i no i was like picking at some skin and apparently it's bleeding now (laughs) do you need a bandage so i'm sorry if there's blood on your couch no it's not bleeding that bad okay um yeah so unfortunately if he already wasn't a bad enough guy he's he sucks a lot um So, in the fall of 67, Manson moves his entire following back down to Los Angeles, where he takes a stab again at his music career. This time, he is kind of able to, in a weird way, get things moving. Uh, He had some connections before he moved up to San Francisco that he was able to kind of reconnect with. However, his erratic behavior and just general unreliability. uh, Also, during all this time, he's like ranting about race wars he's being wildly racist any chance he gets he is a true white supremacist inverted jim jones but yeah with the similar like culty uh-huh so it goes to show how you take the same steps to get to very different absolutely places. yeah so he's hitting up his old music inter- industry collect uh connections and he's trying to make a break he's trying to make a breakthrough he's trying he wants that album deal he wants a record um none of them are following through uh Everyone's like, this guy sucks. He's not that talented, and he's impossible to work with, so we're not going to work with him. However, 
he was lucky enough that he picked up two hitchhikers, two young women hitchhikers, and recruited them into the Manson family cult. Okay. Um, and they had a connection to Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. I did know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the Beach Boys were involved. Yeah. Which is like, like just the okay. Beach Boys? Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and this was Manson's closest thing to a breakthrough in the industry. Wilson fell hook, line, and sinker for Manson's manipulation and to the point where he even allowed him to live, him and the rest of the Manson family to live in his house on Sunset Boulevard for most of the year of 1968. Wilson also loaned Manson hundreds of thousands of dollars oh my gosh. to pursue a record deal and recording and everything. Yeah, that's more than just a bro. Yeah. That's like- um, and reportedly he did all of this um, because Manson in return gave him. Oh no women no yeah ah please tell me that they were all over age i ah. hope so uh so in exchange for sexual favors by any of the women in the manson family wilson is okay, providing all way, these services okay. Sorry, i i, I mean it implied that if they were over the age of 18 that was okay no still being no. manipulated into being sexual favors That's... yeah no it's quite literally he's using women as for as as forms of payment and he and this is not the only time he does this so um yeah not great so finally after a few months almost a year at living at the sunset boulevard at um wilson's house uh wilson's manager actually kicks manson and the rest of the manson family out uh my theory is that wilson's manager was like sick and tired of wilson not focusing on actually recording and was like you need to leave um so the family goes on to live on the Spawn Movie Ranch, which is a filming location for Western films. That's a vibe, though. Uh, right? So he pulls this off um, in much the same way that he did for Wilson. He offers women in sexual favors in exchange for food and, or food and lodging at the ranch. <sighs> so. We hate this. Uh, Wilson's relationship with Manson wasn't over, even though Manson was kicked out of his home. Uh, he still actively kind of advocated for Manson to get a record deal. He even introduced him to Doris Day's son, who was a music producer. And this is a man by the name of Terry Melcher. Um, and he is actually the one that lived at the Tate house before Tate and Polanski lived so there. I'm going to assume that he wasn't talented. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, why this guy is plugging for him so hard, I don't know. I mean, it, Manson was a narcissist. Wilson's being manipulated. There's gotcha. also sex involved. It's obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, if he can't get a record deal through all of that, obviously he just kind of sucks. Yes. And Wilson actually went so far as to have a, as to have the Beach Boys record one of Manson's songs that he wrote. The song at the time was called Cease to Exist, but by the time it was released, it was called Never Learn Not to Love. Manson was actually denied a songwriter credit on this, and at this point the relationship between when the song was released, the relationship between Wilson and Manson was rapidly deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of final nail in the coffin and it ended in some death threats uh, uh, from Manson to Wilson. So okay. surprise, surprise. Okay. I knew the Beach Boys were involved. Not that much. Yeah. No, like literally I was like, imagine, they recorded a song. Imagine having someone squat in your house too, for like a full year. And then just having yeah. them be like, imagine having out. Charles Manson squat in your house. Ew. Like a weird little dude. Imagine, okay. I always wonder like, 
I mean, I know that some people, you just can't see it because it's a sort of slow progress mm-hmm. of insanity or psychopathy or something like that. Okay, he's literally 5'6". But, like, but, like, can you imagine, like, knowing later what Manson did and being like, I could have never imagined. Like, it's like yeah. wives of serial killers. Like, Yeah. And I, like... Part of me is they like, are so deceptive. Charismatic narcissistic yeah. people are so deceptive because mm-hmm. they can show you exactly what they want you to exactly see. Exactly what they want you to see. And this is 1968. Like they're living in a the f- summer of yeah. love basically. Like it doesn't it's not weird for there just to be a bunch of like people hanging out. Like especially in a music person like yeah, I mean, in Hollywood. Culture, yeah, like, in California. Oh, have your parties, have your bros stay in your uh-huh. huge mansion. There's more than enough room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just it's so easy to show how like Stuff like that can start off, like, everyone's having a good time, but it just takes one person to, like, be like, I'm going to take advantage of the situation. Right. And then ruin it for everyone. Yep. So, with the fading of the relationship between Wilson and um, Manson, Terry Melcher, Dorsey's son, um, who Wilson had put Manson in connection with, who had been trying to get him a record deal and had been kind of promising one, but, like, not following through with it, mm-hmm. begins to pull back. Finally. And it's actually Doris Day herself um, who was like, hey, this is not a good person. Um, so props to her. Yeah. Um, and this, of course, was not helped by Manson's erratic behavior, lack of any real talent, rampant racism, and constant rants about the upcoming race war, which he okay. intended to start himself. Yeah. That's Once the relationship between Melcher and Manson was over, Manson realized that that part he's not gonna ever have a career in hollywood so he needed to have control and influence in another way and i'm going to get to that next episode okay so um i i know it's kind of a weird like formatting thing i wanted to get the big stuff out of the way so that i could talk about like who he was because i know people want to hear about like the crimes committed but i want to also talk about like who he was no you know yeah how we got to that point um, and also make sure that the victims are not just people on the page. It's just two hours and four minutes. Did you know that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so that's why I'm saving that for next week, because even though splitting it in half, I still talked for 40 minutes. So, Jeez, wait. Um, yeah. So wow. um, I've, I'm sorry if that's like a weird way to break it off, but that's the best ending I could come up with because that I think is definitely a defining moment in his kind of psychology Yeah. Um, to be like, well, that didn't work. I guess I'm going to start a race own. war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to make sure to do that part justice next episode. And wow. Yeah. Awesome. So hopefully that wasn't too confusing to follow. No, I, I followed. Yeah, I thought that was great. Cool. Thank you for getting Thanks. started that's, on that. I'm excited to hear line. the end that's, of it. Yeah. That's his background. And so now it's all the weird stuff that he did. Oh, um, yeah. All the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, part one, done. Yeah. So next week we'll be back with a historic event for Catherine and part two of Kaylee's Charles Manson and the Manson family. Mm-hmm. Yep. And depending on how much time I have, I might get a little bit into the satanic panic because it does have connections it with does. this story. Yeah. So we'll see how, we'll see what my time looks like. But you never know. Yeah. You I guess do. I will know next week. Yeah. When I do my notes. But <laughs> yeah. Or later this week, I guess, Sunday. Yeah. So we'll see you then. And in the meantime, um, follow us at T-I-N-A-H-L podcasts on Twitter. And email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. If there's something you really want me to talk about next episode, shoot us an email. I'll get it done. Um, mm. 
remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts. That is our number one way mm-hmm. to help support us. It feels like weird when I don't finish a story. So I feel like I, I'm like, okay, we're ending now. I yeah. know. It's okay. We'll finish it next week and it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, better than you. it would be if I tried to figure it all, if fit it all in one episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So. every review you leave us, um, what are we going to say for this week? Oh, I don't know. There's not good topics this week. Every, yeah, we can't make light of anything mm, we've talked about today. No. Every, every review you leave us is another reason for me to keep making merch for Kaylee. Yes. No, actually, that's really true. Please, <laughs> actually, leave, that us, is. Uh, please leave us Apple reviews so we can have merch for us. I do like the coffee, guys. And maybe one day for you, I almost, our listeners. I almost made my tea in it today in this mine. This is so cute. And then I was like, I can't because Kay's going to walk in and see like, my what tea. what the hell is that? And like, no fair. And I have to like, open your bag. <laughs> but, well, thank you again for that, Kat. Yeah, that's very yeah. nice of you. In the meantime, we're going to... We're going to... Go to the Spirit of Halloween store, and we'll talk to you again next week. And this is a reminder reminder that this has not been a history lecture. Bye. Bye.